obviously there is some confusion. Uh, Congressman Dent, uh, explain what is going on and uh, yeah, there's what a motion to now. adjourn, and it's uh, it looks like the the Republicans will prevail. There are four Republican no votes. Uh, I think they would need one On more vote, Republican nay vote. Oh, here, let's listen. If you are confused at home, I think there's many people who are confused in on the floor of Congress as well, particularly even the clerk right now who seems somewhat uh, baffled by what is going on. So no one knows what's going on, neither Republicans, uh, certainly, uh, and, and least of all, uh, the people who are watching. So we're trying to sort of add some rhyme to reason uh, with all of this that people understand uh, what's happening. Because, again, people are starting their year. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, you can't just sort of throw it up and say, oh, well, the Republicans uh, that aren't joining with the other Republicans, they're the traitorous one or they're the terrorists or into this name calling. Again, you know, I, I want to refer to what we went over yesterday uh, with regard to the speaker and, and, and what the line is being held on uh, and why they are holding the line on all this. And a lot of this has to do uh, with the balanced budget. That's ultimately what we're trying to get to, trying to be fiscally responsible, uh, doing the things that Republicans have always wanted to do, border security uh, being good uh, or not being good and making sure that uh, it's, you know, being pushed to the forefront for uh, for the Republicans. Uh, these are the big things. And then today, uh, seemingly not mattering very much as one Donald Trump, he decided to go ahead and come out and jump behind uh, McCarthy in, in all of this. And, you know, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it didn't result in not one more, not one more vote uh, for uh, Kevin McCarthy. So uh, even the incoming freshman, uh, a woman by the name of Luna, is, I think, getting more play than Donald Trump at this point. So I don't think anybody's paying attention, you know, to what's happening in the, the presidential race. So uh, here's just, you know, what it, what we have. And, and I'm as frustrated as, as anybody, but I'm frustrated because the 200 votes aren't more splintered off of more for the 20. You know, the House 20 that's out there, I think, should continue to grow. However, they might make a deal tomorrow. So um, it's anybody's guess what will happen. I'm going to tell you that I think they're going to go through a third day, possibly even a third week. I think uh, Matt Gates and uh, company will continue to hold the line. Certainly, Bobbert has uh, moved away from Jim Jordan. Uh, going uh, for for this uh, Daniels uh, fella, so uh, this this is this is person who absolutely does not want to, or Donalds does not want to be speaker. Uh, take a listen as uh, he was interviewed earlier today on Fox News. Congressman, are you actually running for speaker, or is this more about just continuing the conversation and, and finding a place where Kevin McCarthy can be the next speaker? Well, they nominated me, didn't they? Uh, you know, uh, look, I think uh, right now it's. It's something where I told my colleagues, like, I didn't come to D.C. being interested in becoming Speaker of the House. Um, but I also understand that, you know, part of my responsibility is to make sure that our conference gets to a point where we are doing the things um, in an effective and construction, constructive way, excuse me, uh, that we campaign on back home. And so I, I'm, I'm going to help do that any way I can. So uh, but certainly a, a more logical approach to things, less emotional, uh, but... Uh, Nominated by Bobert, uh, who seems, along with uh, Matt Gates, to be sort of, you know, pushing 
um, this, you know, baseline understanding of what Republicans uh, should be and should be uh, going forward. So here's Boebert. Uh, <laughs> we're going to throw her in there uh, as she nominates the man that you just uh, heard from right there uh, to kick things off. Uh, here's her nomination. My colleagues and I have worked tirelessly for months to build consensus, to negotiate in good faith, to help unify our party on border security, energy security, debt reduction, term limits, earmarks, among other many common sense policies. But too often our efforts have fallen on deaf ears. Our border is wide open. Inflation is out of control. The Senate just passed $1.7 trillion without our input. So let me be clear. Our job is not to coronate the biggest fundraiser or rubber stamp the status quo or keep on going along to get along. It's to use our votes to elect a speaker who will enable us to get our country back on track. Getting the job done is what we were elected to do. And that starts with having a leader who supports Republican principles, builds consensus, and has a proven track. All right, six rounds they've been through and still no speaker. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva. Thanks everybody for tuning in here on a Wednesday night hump day. Lauren Boebert, she's solid. Uh, you know, she's even going, she only won by, what is it, 0.2. It was a uh, Trump-led uh, district by, I don't know, eight points. And she's standing to, up against Donald Trump for nominating Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. She spoke on the floor as the House went through its fifth round and went directly nominated, as you just heard, from for uh, Byron Donalds, a Republican uh, Florida representative, and that she and some of her fellow Republicans were threatened heavily during conference discussions to get McCarthy the necessary votes to win the speakership. And as you just heard her, she says her job is not to coordinate the biggest fundraiser or rubber stamp the status quo or keep going along to get along. It's these are votes to elect the speaker will enable us to get our country back on track. And then she went after Donald Trump after all of that. And she called him out. <laughs> And says, because, uh, you know, Trump came out, broke the silence on everything and uh, didn't result again in one more vote. This is why I think his uh, his ascension to the presidency is null and void. It's not going to happen. I don't know that anybody right now is anybody uh, who's anyone is in, in politics is talking about Donald Trump. They're sort of done with him. I think uh, he, he, this is what Trump posted, I guess, in Truth Social. Whoever has that. I think I had an account for maybe a day or two says, do not turn a great triumph into a giant and embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. You deserve it, he posted, reiterating the endorsement he originally made before the midterm elections. So after they adjourned, they were supposed to come back for a seventh time. And then you saw the chaos. None of the Republicans that wanted to vote, all the Democrats wanted to vote because they're like watching this. They're having a good time watching, you know, the uh, the Republicans, you know, fall apart in, in the midst of all this. So, so here are the McCarthy holdouts. They want more opportunities to amend bills. They're actually principled. They want things. We want balanced budget, uh, you know, secure border. 
Uh, they want to restore the ability of any lawmaker to force a vote on whether to remove future speakers, which I think is what, you know, uh, Kevin McCarthy obviously is against. It's one of the things that Paul Ryan wanted removed uh, at that time. And uh, I was watching uh, Real America's Voice this morning, watching how this whole thing, you know, came to pass back in 2014. And there's a lot of history here uh, for how Washington, D.C. works. So uh, look at some of the people leading the fight against McCarthy's ascension. Uh, again, Bob Good out of uh, Virginia. You have him. You have uh, Matt Rosendale out of uh, Montana. I, I said Bobert, Gates, uh, Andy Biggs, and uh, they'll continue to do that. So what are they doing now that they've blocked him a sixth time and likely a seventh and eighth and ninth time uh, for tomorrow? At least three votes uh, for tomorrow in the midst of you know tech falling, the economy falling. I think Amazon is laying off you know, somewhere close to fifteen to 20,000 uh, here, I think is what they put out there, 19,000. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> we, we're, we're in a time where we are going the other way and we've got no leadership, uh, you know, for the second day without a speaker, which is the first time in, in our 100 years that this has happened. And what are they looking for? What, 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 are they, what do they want? Well, just basic things that we thought the Republican Party stood for. And when the Republican Party doesn't stand for that, you have the Uniparty up in Washington, D.C. And those 20 people are certainly, I think, uh, indicative of standing against that. And I should say that they're, again, trying to make history, trying to make something happen. So let's get some more audio uh, from that, some more video uh, from today on what's happening. Because other people have uh, thrown other names around. Steve Scalise. Uh, I know Charlie Kirk was on a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, Joe Biden. Heck, if Joe Biden can add some sort of sense to anything, well, yeah, President Joe Biden, let's just throw him in there while we're at it, because they're all going to jump in at a time when Republicans are at their lowest and we're about to get to January 6th. Take a listen. Are you concerned about the implications of there not being, uh, of there not being a functioning House of Representatives at this point? Well, obviously I am, uh, in terms of, uh, put my hat on it. Um, for two reasons. One, it's embarrassing for the country. I mean, literally, and I, I'm not making a part of this, the reality is that, you know, to be able to have a Congress that can't function is just embarrassing. We're the greatest nation in the world. How can that be? And we've had a lot of trouble with, I'm sorry for the noise, a lot of trouble with the attacks on our institutions already. And uh, it just... That, that, that's what worries me more than anything else. What about so Joe Biden uh, adding some sense to all this, uh, like if you know he can look good at any point, uh, he certainly will. Um, I don't know who else was was in there today uh, trying. Oh yeah, uh, the people over at the View again. Uh, Joy Behar enjoying what's happening to the GOP, and why not? And remember, this is you know hitting middle America, a couple of million at most. Uh, certainly a popular female show. At that, but most people aren't really watching this. It's a uh, retweeted or maybe uh, repurposed on TikTok or and the like. Uh, here's Joy Behar taking advantage of uh, the opportunity of the GOP flailing in its second day. 
We got to figure out who's going to get this house in order here. I had a little, what they call schadenfreude watching yeah. this. You know, I yeah. sort of enjoyed uh, that they're in such disarray because they deserve it. But it's nice <laughs> that they took a break from destroying the country mm. and started to turn on each other. It, I was reading one time <laughs> about turtles one time. And um, <laughs> apparently if you have turtles in an aquarium mm -hmm. and then you oh. don't feed them long enough, they yeah. will start to eat each other. Well, that's what's going on in Congress right yeah. now. That happens wherever you are. And I'm way, not just I, talking about Mitch McConnell when I talk about turtles here. I'm talking about all of them. I was watching this and thinking, oh, great, I'm Joy's going to be gloating tomorrow. Well, I'm not gloating, but I'm enjoying the, the demise because well, they are the most destructive force of uh, in politics in my lifetime. It's, yeah. well, it's And I was not even there in 1923. Wow. Look at that. Look, listen to that clapping. Yeah. That's just un incredible. Uh, uh, I told you the massive number of tech jobs uh, ha that have been shed. A hundred and I don't know, uh, hundred and fifty thousand plus tech jobs have been shed, uh, and then you've got an additional seventeen, eighteen thousand uh, from Amazon uh, that are now being shed, and, and they're spiking the football. They're excited that you know the GOP can't do anything uh, about what's happening, you know, to themselves or to the country at this point. They're okay with the destruction that's happening. They're okay with the destruction as long as it means the destruction of the Republican Party first. They're all praying for it. And I think even the Republicans right now seemingly are also interested in the destruction of the Republican Party because they have no direction. Now, um, before we jump too far ahead of ourselves, we should probably let you know, I should probably let you know that McConnell and Joe Biden were getting along swimmingly today. Okay, They're not attacking each other. So speaking of all the mix, McCarthy, McConnell, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's no good uh, for, no matter which way you go. The liberals are very good at posturing uh, their strength when we are weak, but they have generally nothing to posture themselves to have some sort of strength about. Uh, and, and and if they can do the analysis and break us down, they're going to go ahead uh, and, and doing that. They're, they're good at doing it. It is, it is embarrassing for us. There's no doubt about it. Uh, no, no doubt that Joey and, and Joe Biden, some two of the dumbest uh, liberals uh, who are out there, one running the country. Um, but when we on that very same day are getting along with the president of the United States, our strongest, our most, uh, uh, our most visible leader in, in Mitch McConnell. This is what was going on earlier today. You've got to take a listen to this as Joe Biden at the very same time that he is saying it's embarrassing for the house He's also complimenting the guy who helped him pass. And one of the things that the House is standing against is that $1.6 trillion omnibus bill uh, that was passed. Uh, here's uh, Joe Biden a little bit earlier today. But Mitch, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't easy and uh, to get this done. And it wouldn't have gotten done no matter all the work so many others have done. And by writing the legislation and dropping it in, it wouldn't have happened without your hand. It just wouldn't have gotten done. And I want to thank you for that. And Mitch McConnell sits there and Mitch McConnell sits there and waves right back at him with guess who is right next to him? Uh yeah. Uh it is incredible what is going on in our country to kick off uh 2023. And and finally, I'll uh, left this little piece for you and just some more stuff uh to stew on because Biden loves Mitch McConnell right now. Uh, it's all about big government leading us more into debt. You know, people are, are trying to sort of stand the way of what McCarthy uh, has done. And and we're going to get into that in the next segment about McCarthy needing to drop out. He needs to, you know, 
move himself uh, out of the way. There is no pathway uh, for McCarthy, and uh, certainly the Democrats are starting to acknowledge that. Take a listen. You know, Scott Perry has said a lot of truisms on the floor. There's not been a House amendment on the floor in six years. So the Freedom Caucus approached this with kind of the rebellious attitude you're seeing and, and the scorched earth that you're seeing. They're doing that right now. The Odd Coalition in 15 were just a handful of people like myself who said, why aren't we solving immigration and health care and guns and actually doing the work, the people's work? And McCarthy and Scalise said, because we don't want to do that. And so it was odd for me at oh, the time to wow. partner with the Freedom Caucus to nominate the opponent to Kevin McCarthy. I was dead to the caucus as soon as I did that. But everybody has to kind of act on their own principles. There's not a pathway now for Kevin McCarthy. It's time for him to withdraw. He knows it. Now it's about his ego. Wow. Um, so uh, with that type you know, of with that type of uh, voice that's out there, you know, commenting on the downfall being ineffective over the last six years. Four of those years, obviously, with uh, Donald Trump not being able to get enough done, uh, passing $6 trillion, $1.7 trillion, another $4 trillion uh, last year, uh, loading up our debt. We're now $32 trillion in debt, the more open borders, the vaccinations, the shutdowns. Uh, these 20 uh, Republican representatives, some sworn in, some not sworn in, are doing their very best uh, during this time to go ahead and hold the line for the rest of this country because our country may not exist if we continue down this path for the next decade or two. We won't be able to take it on. All you need to do is look at the uh, national debt clock and uh, see what that all looks like. Back after a quick break here in the Kiva, you listen to The Rock of Talk here locally on AM 600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Share it with a friend. Download the app, Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Back after a quick break. Kiva. Thanks everybody for tuning into the Rock of Talk. You can catch me on Roku TV, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. And uh, as always, you can download the apps at rockoftalk.tv, rockoftalk.com. We've got uh, Twitter files that we'll get into a little bit later. And, uh, you know, big tech, big government, and uh, they have merged together. And you've got to be careful about all of that stuff. Um, careful of the, the social media platforms and what you're expressing and why you're expressing them uh, on those platforms. My opinion, you know, Twitter, YouTube, all the rest of those, just just throw them out. I'm vertically integrated. I don't leverage any of that kind of stuff. I put out all my own stuff on SoundCloud and Spotify and Stitcher. And, and uh, of course, it goes on Apple Podcasts as well for the time being uh, until they ban me, I'm sure, at, at some point. Well, uh, a man that has uh, been up against it. And, you know, okay, so if it, let's, just, let's assume for a second it's not McCarthy. Where do, you, where do we go? What happens? Hey, who are the other people? You heard of uh, Donalds or Daniels, Daniels, what, whatever it is. Then you've heard of Scalise. Then he had Jim Jordan, uh, who was there. I think they're just making sure that they sort of get this agreement signed. And Matt Gates is probably at the very front uh, of all this. He's uh, creating the most uh, noise, uh, probably the, the strongest, uh, you know, advocate besides Boebert. Um, but he also went against Donald Trump, and he's a great friend, probably one of uh, Donald Trump's greatest friends. Uh, he uh, called the 
Former President Donald Trump's endorsement of House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House, sad in a statement. He was uh, one of Trump's biggest supporters, one of McCarthy's biggest critics, responded to Trump's Wednesday morning endorsement of McCarthy after the California Republican failed to receive the 218 votes he needed to become Speaker. He said, quote, some really good conversations took place last night. Now it's time for all of our great Republican House members to vote for the win, he told those 20. Sad, Gates said in a Wednesday statement to Fox News. This changes neither my view of McCarthy nor Trump nor my vote. And, uh, you know, Trump is advocating pretty hard to, I don't know, <laughs> close the deal. Okay. So uh, the weed lady, um, a Representative Nancy Mace, asked Rep- uh, Representative Matt Gates if he's on drugs. Okay. Uh, she has been pushing to legalize cannabis in the U.S. She accused Matt Gates on Wednesday of being on drugs in response to him and several other lawmakers refusing to vote for McCarthy as the House uh, began uh, their fourth vote. Uh, that was the first vote today to elect a new speaker. She said, I know I think I'm the weed lady, but serious question. What are you on, Matt Gates? He has uh, obviously been an open critic, as I stated before, McCarthy, but uh, he's receiving lots and lots of criticism. So, what does all this mean for Congress at this point? I think that's the, the biggest question, okay? Well, it means that it won't be in session, okay? Uh, Democrats, they're lining up. They're pretty orderly. They're unified. They're out front. Um, you know, they're, they're, they are ready to put Jeffries in if they can just go ahead and splinter off, you know, five, six uh, Republicans to go their way, get 218, 219. And uh, if this goes on long enough, do I think there's a chance? I really don't. I don't think that that's going to happen. But what is happening is you're going to have a weakened Speaker of the House. So the strongest position in the country, third in line uh, for the presidency, would be the Speaker of the House. And if they don't want him to become Speaker of the House and they can hold him, well, there is no direct ascension should something happen, God forbid, to the President or the Vice President. I am saying that actually seriously because, uh, you know, we always want to protect those particular offices. It will make it also very difficult for Congress to pass any contentious legislation for the year. Think about any time that they're lying, uh, they can go ahead and say, well, we're not standing on principle. We're going against the actual person who's advocating for this. So, uh, again, I'm glad that this is, you know, being held up and uh, pushed forth uh, and and the like. But uh, it doesn't make it very strong for us, uh, especially going into 2024. So let's look at some of the uh, last shenanigans of the day. Some fun things uh, that happened uh, as well. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned Steve Scalise. Uh, here's how Charlie Kirk, and I respect Charlie Kirk. Uh, Kirk, uh, he's come to uh, Albuquerque a number of times. Uh, he was not very happy when someone earlier suggested Steve Scalise to him today. I mean, there are probably 100 people that are saying we're going to only vote for Kevin. So then what? That's nonsense. I mean, this is what's going to happen. Kevin McCarthy's not going to get the votes to be speaker. He doesn't have 218 votes. Uh, Jim Jordan does not have 218 votes to become speaker, so it's going to go to Steve Scalise. And well, I hold realize- on, but, but, but Mike, Steve Scalise is a flaming liberal compared to Kevin McCarthy. Why should we support that? I think that is, uh, I, I think Kevin McCarthy's office is putting out some no, pretty- No, 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 that's not true, Mike. No, Steve Scalise supported, was neutral with Liz Cheney and Harriet Hageman. Hakeem Jeffries says, I have a much better relationship with Steve Scalise than with McCarthy. So you, is your argument in favor of Scalise? I think you have to look at, uh, you know, you can pick off the, those two examples as that he's a flaming liberal. He's just not. You have no, to look he is at the- compared to Kevin McCarthy. I mean, Mike, you just lost me, man. Steve, Sc- Steve Scalise is worse than Paul Ryan. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, for all of his faults, 
was going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene on oversight. Like, if your argument is Steve Scalise, like, that's not compelling to me at all. Wow. Uh, so some strong words uh, why Charlie Kirk is Charlie Kirk and, uh, you know, taking on uh, Mike Davis. But, uh, again, the shenanigans will continue because we're not knowing who that they're going to go ahead and nominate. There's not going to be any real leadership. And, see, this is what this brings in. It just brings in a lot of frustration. You're frustrated. I'm frustrated. Everyone's frustrated. And when frustration uh, goes on to the House, here's someone who actually supports Kevin McCarthy. Uh, she went and she made some jokes and she said some uh, sort of, I don't know, offer rocker things uh, when she's accusing the Democrats of parting uh, directly on the floor. And they are. Uh, absolutely. But keep the focus on uh, trying to get across the border security, the balanced budget, uh, going against the omnibus and making sure that there's no primary challengers uh, when it comes uh, to the Republicans. Uh, take a listen. I believe this woman's name is, uh, I'm trying to think of her name. Uh, let's see. I don't have it right here, but she's one of the rep Republican representatives who uh, nominated uh, McCarthy earlier today. For the last two years, as the youngest Republican woman in the 117th Congress, helping to secure a majority of members who are on both sides of today's Republican vote. Diversity of thought is a good thing. It's one of the things that sets us apart from our friends on the other side of the aisle. Yes, diversity of thought is a good thing. But they want us divided. They want us to fight each other. That much has been made clear by the popcorn and blankets and alcohol that is coming over there. Ooh. There it is. The house is not in order. And then she asked for order, and she's the one who dropped the joke. So, uh, anyway, not a good start uh, to 23. Uh, we'll sort of uh, leave it there. Finally, I think we should go to Chuck Todd. We'll let, we're going to let him, uh, you know, meet the press. I believe it's still on Sundays. It's been a long time since, you know, I've watched uh, meet the press. Uh, but we're going to let them uh, sort of have the, the final word on all of this because this is what I think really concerns um, everybody when there isn't going to be, if McCarthy's gone, then you're going to be starting over from scratch. You're going to probably have four or five people who are probably going to throw their hat into the ring and it's going to extend for another probably 10, 20 rounds uh, because so many of the Republicans seemingly are behind uh, McCarthy. Um, but as you just heard, that he doesn't have the votes to get to 218 or 220, I guess is what they're putting, 218. Um, you know, Chuck Todd is suggesting that McCarthy needs to drop out. Uh, take a listen uh, to this. I think this is a pretty good analysis here. And joining us now, thanks to you, Steve, is Chuck Todd, who's been watching this along with us. The question for Kevin McCarthy is, what can he offer? What concession can he make? Because... And among the, the hardcore against yeah. him, those five, and then it expanded to 20, they all want different things. The only thing he can do is not seek the speakership. It's the only thing. To step he, aside. That's the only thing these folks want at this point. And, and you know, the, the problem is, well, we're focused on these 20, and it's the 20 that has made Brendan Buck's professional life miserable when he had lived in another, <laughs> another entity and leadership and all of those things. But there's another, and I don't know what the number is. Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 50? Who the la of House Republicans who don't want to cave to the twenty, because then the twenty's in charge, and that it, so this is truly loggerheads. And I don't there isn't, I don't know what the solution is. I talked to one committee chair who said we don't need a politician, we need a therapist, because they're all personal grievances. These are arguably you have twenty people with seventeen different asks. 
He's already done the, the big stuff. At this point, there's nothing left other than stepping aside himself. And that would then hand them the ultimate leverage, which I think would... McCarthy. I'm curious what Brendan thinks of this. I think that would blow up the House even further and fracture things worse. As long as the Democrats are holding firm, and it seems to me, Yamish, that they are as united as they've ever So there you go. This is what happens when you don't win by as much as uh, you needed to win by. If it would have been convincing, uh, 225, 226, 227 plus, you wouldn't be worrying about these uh, 20 holdouts. You'd have enough to go ahead and uh, get past that threshold uh, to where they needed to get. But this is the result of just bad campaigning, uh, a bad cycle, and ultimately uh, they're trying to make uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy pay the price. And they should, especially if he's not going to stick to the Republican principle. So we'll leave it there. Day three, that's going to start tomorrow. And we'll see what three more that they nominate besides Donald's and all the rest of them. Back here in three, here in the Kiva, when we return. You guys uh, love the music here in the Kiva and all the coverage. And really the idea for all this is to walk away with a good understanding of uh, what's happening out there uh, as I have my coverage. So if I can make sense of it, you can make sense of it and who the players are, what they're doing, and what it's going to look like for tomorrow. So in the third day, I don't expect them to uh, cross the finish line or maybe even by the end of the week. I think uh, it's going to become more fractured uh, tomorrow. Uh, the strength of the personalities of uh, Bobert and Gates and and uh, even some of the other holdouts uh, who are there, I think will continue to hold the line on all this. I think the, you know, Chuck Todd, uh, his analysis uh, on all this has been good. And we have to sort of look at, unfortunately, his analysis from the outside looking in, especially when um, everyone has a sort of seat at the table. If you're Republican, if you're a pundit, if you're a conservative commentator, you know, you got to remove the emotion out of all this and just uh, understand what the baseline uh, desire and the want is. And uh, when, you know, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump, a presidential candidate, is, you know, throwing his hat into the ring and, you know, trying to shake things uh, to the point where we can cross this so he can focus on his presidential. And let, let's not forget who Donald Trump is. He's ultimately focused on himself here. Uh, if you can get past this, then he can start to you know, uh, you know, take the helm of, um, the conversation because McCarthy is, 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 is already weak. Uh, McConnell's weak and he's attacked both of them already. Uh, I think, uh, McCarthy a little bit more indirectly, uh, from some of the, his surrogates uh, attacking McCarthy and Boebert and, and Gates are some of the, uh, two most emboldened, uh, Trump, uh, supporter, uh, so, you know, there you go. I'm, I think ultimately maybe mid early next week, you're going to have Jim Jordan, I think jump back in, uh, and, uh, he's going to decide that he may need, uh, to go ahead and, uh, lead the charge uh, for the Republicans uh, going forward, because it's not going to be about, uh, raising money. Uh, certainly I think the Republicans are going to donate as much as they possibly can so that we can win, uh, the house, uh, by even more in 24 and, of course, uh, we've got a lot to lose uh, when it comes to the Senate. In fact, there is a lot of Senate races uh, that we should be watching, that we should be uh, paying attention uh, to. So there's uh, seven Senate races 
in 2024 that I sort of want to draw your attention to. And a lot of people thinking that there's no, I don't know, hope in the house uh, for the next couple of years. And I think for, you know, all intents and purposes, they, they, they would be right. So West Virginia, you have uh, Senator Joe Manchin. He won two Senate races, one of the reddest states in the nation. Uh, of course, Jim Justice, the governor, hopped over. He became that. So he's up. He won his first election back in 82, held a 42% statewide approval rating in October. Uh, you have uh, Montana, Democratic Montana Senator John Tester is going to face off against Republican Representative Matt Rosendale. Rosendale, uh, you know, a, a very good um, uh, elected representative and who's one of the 20 that's holding the line on there. Uh, you also have Ryan Zinke. Uh, in a state that Donald Trump won by 16 points. So Montana, uh, Senator coming out of there, that's going to tip the, uh, the balance. Uh, Ohio is going to be another place. Uh, uh, the uh, red trending state of Ohio, as Ohio goes, so goes the rest of the country. You have Sherrod Brown, the fifth most liberal senator of the 117th Congress, according to Progressive Punch. And then uh, you had J.D. Vance defeating Tim Ryan by six. Uh, this last time around, you have Governor Mike De- Devine, DeWine, excuse me, uh, Secretary of State LaRose. Um, but you've got to look at uh, that Senate race uh, in two years and what that looks like uh, going forward. And then, well, we've got Arizona. That's going to be big because you got Kristen Sinema. She's already left the Democratic Party. She's moved to the independent way, and uh, she's going to try and straddle the line, and she is going to get rewarded. So I don't know if we can necessarily put that on the map. She's likely to get reelected. Uh, you have a majority, excuse me, 33, 34% um, signing up for the Republican Party. I think it's 33% for the uh, independents and only 31% for the Democrats. But now you got a 31% uh, Democrats that are the minority, they're the third party, but they own the three biggest offices, Attorney General, Secretary of State, and of course the governor's uh, race uh, as well. So Carrie Lake might be uh, jumping into that race Um I think that uh, if Carrie Lake decides to run for Senate, uh, she could win for the Republicans in Arizona. But Cinema has uh, jumped off to, I think, an early lead by virtue of the fact that she moves straight into the independent, uh, is no longer Democrat or Republican, although she still caucuses with the Democrat. How about Wisconsin? Uh, Wisconsin is uh, going to be on the map, and you must pay attention to that. Also, Nevada is going to be big. Uh, Cortez Masto beat uh, Domenici's son. Uh, uh, by, I don't know, 4,500 votes, eked out a win there over Adam Laxalt. Uh, I don't know if Adam's going to run again. Uh, he's the attorney general, but we certainly hope that he does in 24. I think he can probably muster a win uh, next time around against a even weaker uh, candidate this uh, next time around. And then you've got Michigan. Uh, Democrat Debbie Stabenow will run for a fifth term in 24. Uh, now, Biden won Michigan by about uh, two and a half points in 2020. Michigan is trending more blue. You have Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, she won by nearly 10 points. Uh, but Stabenow has, um, Stabenow might be a little bit vulnerable, but uh, it's one of the races that we're going to go ahead and need to watch. Uh, so if Trump is on the ticket, does he hurt or help things? He might hurt more than help, uh, given what he's done just in the last couple of days. And uh, Chuck Todd, I think, uh, pointing out the weakness in uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, thus far. And look, you know, Donald Trump is, has been through the ringer. I, I've been one of his most ardent supporters out there. But Chuck Todd said uh, on Andrea Mitchell's report, the same place where I grabbed that video from, that former President Donald Trump's endorsement for Speaker after Tuesday's fell vote did not get a single new vote, not one. 
He said the only thing he can do is not seek the speakership in talking about McCarthy, as you heard. He also said, I talked to one committee chair. They said, we don't need a politician. We need a therapist, as you heard. He said, Donald Trump, once again, was very helpful to Kevin McCarthy to the point of it got him not one single new vote. It's kind of a reminder because we have been chronicling how much power he has in losing inside his own party. This is why Trump had been quite for a while. And his fear for his voice doesn't really matter anymore. I think we just found out, at least when it comes to getting McCarthy over the finish line, even Donald Trump can't do it. He could maybe end McCarthy if he wanted to, but he couldn't crown him. So um, literally no help whatsoever, as uh, noted by uh, Chuck Todd. So these holdouts will continue to uh, block McCarthy. They've done it for six rounds uh, thus far. And um, meanwhile, Joe Biden is uh, touting Mitch McConnell's loyalty during this uh, big infrastructure celebration that cost uh, you, the taxpayers, $1.3 trillion. Mitch, it wasn't easy to get this done, as I've already showed you the video. He was willing to find common ground to get things done. So we've got Republicans working with Democrats, and uh, you've got all of about 20 people who are trying to do their very best to tell McCarthy to bow out. So this will extend at least, uh, uh, as I've uh, indicated before, uh, at least uh, through the end of the week and uh, into the beginning of next week with probably new candidates uh, showing up if McCarthy is even a candidate by this time next week. Uh, so I'm not really sure this is uncharted territory. Hard to prognosticate um, on any of this stuff. I don't know that putting McCarthy in is going to get us or this country any further along on any of this. 550-5500. That's 550-5500. And as I mentioned, the country's in turmoil right now. There's a lot of stuff that is uh, going on. A lot of things that we have to pay attention to economically. Well, by the way, if you want to go ahead and you know not worry about the economy, perhaps you should win the $940 million jackpot, the Mega Millions jackpot. I believe that it is uh, going on tonight. You have uh, three minutes and, I don't know, 40 seconds to go ahead and get your ticket. You won't be getting it. Um, but the jackpot drought is not surprised given the odds of 302.6 million of winning the top prize. But uh, I don't know, maybe if you wait and see what happens, maybe you can go ahead and get it. We're going to talk about the economy and the tech uh, sector again. Uh, Meta, uh, the parent uh, company, the new name for Facebook, was fined over $400 million today. That's right, in the European Union for serving ads based on online activity. And this is a big deal because this has a lot to do with you sharing your passwords, you dropping your cookies, you uh, clicking on certain advertisements, you uh, putting in certain keywords. And the European Union is 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 serving up uh, Facebook and Meta with a fine. Whereas New Mexico, the place where I'm from and where I broadcast from, it's kind of interesting. We're giving as much money as we can to a failing company. The uh, regulator's action against Facebook delivers a huge punch to the digital advertising industry when um, – Facebook is already losing huge amounts of money. Uh, their stock was up today 2.11% after a big loss yesterday. But the European Union privacy regulator ruled that its plat meta platforms can't use its contracts with Facebook and Instagram users to justify sending them ads based upon any online activity. Stop snooping around. It also announced that their Data Protection Commission also imposed fines of $414 million, and it violated EU privacy laws by saying such ads are necessary to execute contracts with users. Litigation will take years on this, but if decisions are upheld, uh, which they most likely will be in three to five years, they could mean that Meta will have to allow users to opt out of ads that are based on how individual users interact with its own apps. 
Uh, also, a privacy regulator said it issued these decisions after a board representing all privacy regulators in the block last month ordered the Irish regulator that was overseeing this to do so over the Irish regulator's objections. The Wall Street Journal's earlier reported Irish Ireland leads the enforcement of EU's general data protection regulation for Meta because the company's European headquarters are in Dublin. So one of the things that should happen is that many of these people who are violated, if they could even find any of this stuff, and if we could get the information of the users that Facebook and Meta has violated, that they should get something in return. I don't know, some sort of money rather than just a penalty that goes to the government. Why should your information be compromised yet you receive, I don't know, none of the return for how your own uh, rights have been violated? Well, I think it's just the government trying to say that, hey, they're playing fair and we want you to continue to trust these tech companies because they're going to be better actors going forward. Should you trust Facebook? No, no, and hell no. Should you trust Instagram? Same same answer. Should you trust Twitter? Should you trust any of those? I would say trust none of them with the exception of TikTok. We'll just go ahead and leave it uh, right there. Hour one in the books, hour two just for you here on this hump day on The Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Check out the website at rockoftalk.com. I'm Eddie Aragon. The Rock of Talk, rockoftalk.com, Roku TV, Amazon, Fire, Apple TV, podcasting, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I own the radio station that I broadcast from, my home station here, and then uh, another station out in uh, Las Vegas, the great 670KMZQ uh, out there. So looking forward to um, that partnership. Uh, don't forget, you can download the apps, which I make, plus all the radio stations uh, that I've created um, you know, you've got uh, Alt 2K, which is good. I have an opera station there and uh, all that, a place where you can go ahead and consume as much as you like. You can text me directly on my five line, 550-50-500 in the 505. Fives and zeros, 505-550-5500 here for this Wednesday, January the 4th in the second hour, 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time, 11 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock uh, Pacific uh, Time uh, here in the Kiva. And the economy not doing well uh, going forward. I just told you about the... Uh, Half a billion dollar penalty uh, for Facebook. They're not liking that. They've lost I mean, We talked about MAGAFT last night. Uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, Tesla, right? MAGAFT. So, uh, and then there's also Facebook, AFT. So, uh, so AFT, MAGAFT, uh, Facebook, and Tesla. Tesla having a, a horrendous day yesterday, losing 12.2%. And uh, as I mentioned yesterday, 2023 spilling big trouble for the U.S. economy. Things are not looking good, and uh, your bosses are looking forward to you getting back to work. But it's going to be hard, hard, hard. Four out of five of you are not feeling too good, according to Gallup uh, polling. Four out of five of you predicting that 2023 will be worse than 2022. And uh, we talked a lot about the trends yesterday that are, I think, are going to continue to happen. Um, but we need to do sort of the, the meat and potatoes discussion uh, as well. I told you your capital is 
more expensive. The end of cheap money uh, is uh, come and gone now. Uh, no more bull market. Capital is dissipating. And then there's uh, no more crypto. Just in case you were holding on to any of that, that is uh, now gone uh, as well. So things not looking good uh, overall uh, with the trends that are coming through. And the people who are going to be paying the price, of course, are going to be the rich people. They're going to be paying and paying first. Uh, the market caps for the big companies, as I indicated to you yesterday, have now fallen more than a trillion dollars, uh, more than a trillion dollars for Apple. Now sub two trillion. They were north of three trillion at one point. Uh, again, Tesla, uh, its worst drop in over two years had that yesterday. Um, but tech will bounce back. There's no doubt about it. And then, of course, the dominance of, uh, I believe, Facebook and Google in terms of advertising, you know, that is also going to fall off and that's not going to be good for those big companies. So the tech layoffs. So one more time, I want to reiterate 150,000 plus tech layoffs in 2022. In 2020, during the first year of the pandemic, we only had 80,000. Last year, we had 15,000. And tech's where it's at. Uh, every single time one of those uh, tech jobs is fulfilled, what happens? You've got someone making hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's pretty crazy. Uh, when it comes to electric cars, Tesla off its mark, a company by the name of Rivian also off its mark, as I indicated to you yesterday, not even producing 25,000, uh, losing 5.3 billion last year. That's correct, folks. 5.3 billion. Microsoft, uh, its employees deciding to unionize and uh, stocks are going to continue to slip, although they were up uh, today to sort of kick things off uh, in the positive territory for 2023 after a uh, subpar start yesterday. So let's go to where we're at, what it looks like. And so many of you, now that you're going back to work, you think there's going to be this uh, sort of post-pandemic productivity surge. Not going to happen, okay? Uh, not going to happen in the tech sector, not going to happen in the industrial sectors. It's just not going to happen. The reality of this is uh, with the number of employees and those expectations that have been so incredibly lofty, global productivity uh, is going to decline. Uh, here's sort of where it was over the last uh, three, four years, okay? In, uh, from 2015 to 2020, we had uh, productivity gains year over year anywhere from 1% to 3%. And then, of course, mid, uh, end of 19, beginning of 20, it dropped considerably. We dropped about 12 13% uh, year over year in that first part of the pandemic. And then we elevated to north of 3 4 5% in 21. And then last year, about midway through the year, uh, end of 21, beginning of 22, we were flatlining, folks. Productivity uh, has disappointed for a few reasons. Homeworking may have proved to be less helpful than it seemed at first. Uh, certainly people are at home. They're trying to work, uh, thinking that they're more productive. They aren't because why? A lack of communication, uh, working in environments where they have more distractions, especially at home. And then, of course, the companies. They have to also deal with the fallout from the pandemic, you know, getting people back to square one, how to operate in an environment that will work. Productivity is just going to be off. We're not going to produce what we previously produced, and whether it's human capital whether it's industrial product, whether it's tech, whatever it happens to be. Also, workers, right, uh, knowing that you need them, what's happened? They have had all the leverage. So you have the people who have been walking away from their jobs. Now, what does that mean for, you know, companies? Well, all you have to do is go to a restaurant 
to notice that they can't find good help. It's more expensive for you to get the same plate that you were getting pre-pandemic, and you're getting half the food at a quarter of the service that you were once getting, but you're willing to pay because you hope that it's all going to work. Now people are just abandoning ship altogether, and they aren't patronizing those businesses because they see this as the new normal going forward. Also, there's a lot of speculation on whether or not this quiet quitting, right, which was supposedly just a trend, whether this is actually something that is now also the new norm. So there isn't any new innovations that are going on. You're seeing that happening right now with the technology, you know, phones, uh, new technology in computers. None of that uh, is really happening other than the virtual reality stuff that's there and maybe sort of the electric cars for more efficiency. We really haven't seen much in terms of innovation. Uh, I don't know if anybody's uh, paid attention uh, when it comes to new innovations that are coming up, but it's not happening the way it was pre-pandemic. And then, of course, the uh, most important thing is the structural conditions overall within an economy, right? The infrastructure to get you to and fro, trains. Here in the, my hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico, we can't find enough bus drivers to actually run the buses. Um, populations, you know, they're getting older. They require more care. You know, that's certainly a problem because it's going to require more of the younger people to pay for some of the older people. Uh, as well, who are, you know, trying to enjoy their quote-unquote retirement, whereas at the very same time, the younger people are having to work harder, and they're not sure why or why they're not getting more out of their own lives of what the previous generation, their fathers and their grandfathers are once getting. And then finally, uh, new uh, property. So because of the cost of building and uh, sort of the regulations that are going on, the planning, the infrastructure development isn't being rolled off as quickly um, that isn't uh, really sparking a whole lot of new productivity either. So that's where we are, folks. Uh, if you're looking for productivity gains going forward in a positive economy, economy excuse me, in 2023, it's just not happening. Um, people are looking for more ways to sort of gig themselves out. And then, of course, you have the government is going after those people. So let's just talk very quickly about the meat and potatoes um, and what it costs to feed a family, to gas a family, to clothe a family, to provide medical care for a family, to shelter a family, all of that is becoming more and more expensive. And just the bare bones food costs uh, overall in Canada, for example, are more than $300 per week is what they're spending to feed an, am, uh, an average family of four. Food costs have been detailed in their Canadian food price reports, and that certainly is going to be coming here. An average family of four, man, woman, age 31 to 50, a boy age 14 to 18, and a girl age 9 to 13 will spend $16,288 in U.S. dollars on food this year alone, which is an increase of $1,065 from what families spent in 2022. I guess uh, those insects are a little bit more expensive. You also have uh, a people uh, expecting prices to not decrease but to increase in 2023 because food inflation has exceeded the overall general inflation. So affordability not getting any better in Canada, and the same thing is going to be happening here in these United States. So uh, you're going to find more homeless people uh, as well as a lack of jobs and uh, economic security and opportunity will be failed to be provided by companies who don't want to roll out new jobs. Back after a quick break, we'll talk more about the economy. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Into the Kiva here on this Wednesday night on AM1600 KIVA, ABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com.
Great band here. We'll talk more about them. Passion Pit. Had them actually in the Kiva some years ago. They came in for a film festival. I had a chance to uh, interview them. You got to listen to the uh, words to this particular to a particular song. I took a walk, and uh, I'll share all this stuff. We'll be kind of going out. Uh, you know, drip, drip is what I'll be doing with most of the people who are uh, followers of me and what I do. And I've been doing this now, as I've said, I've been uh, here in the Kiva for more than uh, 12 new years and I've been innovating all myself, keeping it contained and moved away from social media, tried to develop my own stuff. And then everybody got a Substack and all that stuff. I'm like, what? Pfft, I don't need it. Generally when everybody adopts, I'm like, even this stuff, if you see me on rock of talk TV right now, all this stuff, you'll see this sort of slowly just kind of drip, drip away. And I'm um, pretty excited about that because I'm constantly thinking about me, my business, the station, and what I'm doing. I, again, apologize for the people here uh, in Albuquerque listening locally. And uh, <clears throat> it is unfortunate that uh, I've been crammed out. I've been a lot of interference. I've got a, I've got a whole entire graphic. My Siri's talking to me. Uh, she's that's that's the only innovation that's going on is more control over me, right? The technology using to control me or the things around me. That that's what technology is being used for. <laughs> to innovate how to have more control over what I'm doing, not me to be more productive. I think that's definitely happening uh, right now, but there's lots of interference. Uh, we're on a, uh, a C band, what's considered. And my uh, satellite is just getting pummeled and jammed right now uh, on my channel. And until that clears up, uh, which hopefully will be tomorrow, we cleared out Verizon. We know it's not dish network. And so now we're just waiting on one of the contractors for AT&T who installed a radio that's just sending out noise. And uh, it's not on purpose, so don't anybody get any ideas. We actually had a spectrometer, spectrometer, which was analyzing all the data, and we could pick up on the noise. We just aimed this little thing, this gun at it, and boom, it was just showing right up, and it was, you know, squelching out my stuff, And which is why you see our receivers uh, getting intermittent uh, sort of ping-pong blips and that's why you also don't hear the top of the hour news sometimes because once it's interfered with it's hard to sort of uh, recreate the connection there so thanks to dan the electric man for trying to put it back all, all together for me 550 50 500 in the 505 uh if you'd like uh, right here and you know as i mentioned you know innovation technology r d is what you need research and development so you can sort of make big jumps and big leaps and things like that and you know, I, as you guys all know, I read a lot and I'm constantly interested in the things that are going on around me. And uh, uh, most of the tech innovations are about you keeping the earth safe or about technology having more control over you so that you can be more efficient or secure, by and large, more secure these days than, than efficient. Again, it's not trying to do any sort of productivity gains. Uh, generally speaking, when you have productivity gains, you're just wasting more time consuming things that are less productive. Uh, your first uh, angling, inkling, I should say, is to figure out ways to waste even more time once you get more time to get machines to do work for you. And that's not why things people got things to be more, you didn't drive your car faster so you could waste more time relaxing once you got there. You got there faster so you could get more things done during the day, but nobody seems to understand that anymore. Uh, let's see some things to pay attention to, uh, hydrogen, uh, green, blue, and brown hydrogen. Uh, some of the things that are going on, e-SIM cards, uh, tiny chips that go into your smartphones, pay attention to that post quantum cryptography the computers exploiting the weirdness of the subatomic realm, uh, in all of this, uh, we're looking and talking about that mixed reality, virtual reality. My kids have virtual, I can travel around the world without having to get on a plane. 
I do these 360 views of, I don't know, I was in Saint-Tropez, or I recently toured Angel Falls, which is the world's highest waterfall at more than 3,000, is it 3,000 feet, 1,000 meters? No, I think it's 3,000 meters. It's a 9,000-foot fall, right? I think that's what it is. Angel Falls, Venezuela. Absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. You strap on the VR reality, and you're, like, touring. I've also toured in the universe. I've gone to the Andromeda Galaxy. Uh, I've uh, gone to uh, Greece, uh, all these different places. So mixed reality, virtual reality is something that's going to be more. So get yourself a VR headset. Instead of jumping a plane and traveling around the world, you can experience a lot of these things without ever having to leave you know, your uh, current area. Uh, instead of passwords, you're not going to have pass keys, right? Uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, um, it's literally going to know that it is you. Why? It's using your fingerprint. My Apple computer uses exactly that. Uh, nobody can get on it but me. Um, and then it's also going to be using the hertz of your voice eventually to do that. Uh, also, uh, speaking of warfare, tactical nuclear weapons, uh, you also have um, uh, things that we should probably talk about in terms of uh, aridification and gasification. There's all these new things that are sort of going out and uh, emissions, hydrogens, fuels, um, people traveling and not traveling. Anyway, all this stuff is uh, out there and things and new terms that you should be paying attention about, uh, paying attention. Now in Las Vegas, uh, my second home, um, they're currently having the CES. It's elect, it is the um, Consumer Electronics Show. I used to go to this um when I lived in Las Vegas full time and I was there all the time, there's always uh, big company names like Sony, LG. Um, they're constantly, you know, showing off the latest and greatest and the innovations. But all the innovations this year have nothing to do with productivity. Uh, no, it's just more hobby dumb uh, more than anything. More games. Uh, you know, you've got things like electric skates, uh, which are out there. You've got digital temporary tattoos for those people who don't want to go ahead and ink up and get penetrated. They could actually have digital, uh, ink, uh, right on their bodies. Um, that's right, folks. Uh, you've got, uh, augmented virtual reality devices that are going on your eyes, uh, and your ears now. Uh, so that's some of the stuff, a fitness tracker for your dog, just what we all need for a, uh, more efficient world. Uh, the thing that you've been dreaming of a GPS tracker for your dog, uh, not to mention a fitness tracker and you can get it with a smart uh, code and your, your dog can just roam the streets. There it is. And it's got all its vet records and everything uh, right on it. It's got a dog collar. It's uh, 150 bucks uh, for the collar. And then uh, I guess you can get like a subscription for 825. And then uh, your kids, just in case you didn't want to parent them enough, uh, your kids can now have massive escapism and then uh, join into the metaverse. Now have any of those going to add to, you know, um, our overall productivity, I would think not. And um, the bottom line is, is this is why we need tech innovation. And this is why our economy in this country and, you know, really around the world in a number of places um, that are very westernized are losing its mojo. We're leaping and limping into the new year. A survey of America's manufacturing sector published today revealed that in December, our economy contracted for a second consecutive month. It adds to the evidence that the economy is on the cusp of a recession. Folks, as I told you yesterday, we are in a recession. We're absolutely in a recession. Know it, learn it, right? That's what we are. 
It adds to the evidence the economy is on the cusp of a recession as the Federal Reserve's aggressive tightening of monetary policy makes its impact felt. Now you're seeing unionization, people holding wages, less efficiency, less money. You know, uh, the impact is going to be felt in your bottom lines. You can't just say, oh, wow, my price of my house is going up. I'm rich. I got more money. Crucial question is now the Fed will respond to the slowdown. Analysts are pouring over the minutes from the latest meeting in December of the Fed, released on Wednesday to glean hints about the central bank's thinking. You're going to see more increases. Why? The new data and minutes will pale the importance compared with the jobs report on Friday, which is coming in a couple of days. So the labor market will remain robust. There'll be a lot of uh, people who are still gainfully employed, but you're going to actually see the unemployment rate jump. And there's a reason why all of that is. We're going to get to that uh, in the next segment. Before we do, right, one of the first things that we like to display our wealth in is in what? A vehicle, a car, we drive it around. You know, no one's saying that, hey, where do you live? Or, you know, <clears throat> what's the latest watch that's out there? Most people are wearing, you know, digital watches, iPhone watches, things like that. So you can't tell how much money people make by their watches, although you could in the 80s and the 90s. Um, or their clothes that they wear or things like that. It's, it's, it's a very different type of thing. So cars, by and large, are how people display their wealth. Teslas being, I think, the most... Uh, visible evidence of that uh, of the last couple of years. Prior to that, a lot of German works, right? BMW, Mercedes, uh, SUVs, uh, obviously uh, a display of uh, uh, upper middle income or upper income uh, uh, power, uh, if you will. But last year, folks, the U.S. auto industry posted its worst sales year in more than a decade. And in my opinion, this has always been the strongest indicator. Now, I have a, I have a degree in economics. And if you track U.S. auto sales or auto sales of any country, you can see really how healthy a country is because it's one of the first things that we don't necessarily need, right? We don't need to have the best uh, types of cars or a luxury vehicle. But by and large, many of us will purchase the most amount that we possibly can. It's one of those things that, that we'll, we'll do. We won't always buy the biggest house, house that we possibly can. But if it's a car, generally a lot of us will try and do that, especially if we're very capitalistic. So automakers on Wednesday reported sales declines overall for the years, including General Motors and Toyota Motors. Okay, General Motors had a slight increase, but overall did have a... Uh, uh, overall decrease. I don't know how that happened uh, with its number of factory shutdowns. Uh, Toyota Motor lost its top spot in 2021 for the first time in decades. Uh, U.S. auto sales totaled 13.7 million in 2022, which is the lowest figure since 2011. And it represents an 8% decrease from the prior year. That prior year when we were COVID shut down, sales had topped 17 million vehicles for five straight years and we cut all the way down to 13.7 million vehicles. Now, according to Hyundai, they are saying it's going to make things a lot more challenging in 2023, especially because there's rising interest rates. A lot of people borrow money to buy buy cars. Um, you know that is a uh, has a lot to do with the uh, number number of reasons why people aren't buying cars in the fourth quarter. Probably one of the worst quarters in the last 10 years uh, was probably the fourth quarter of uh, 2022 but according to some people it's not all gloom and doom and we'll talk about that uh, as well nissan posting some returns and some increases back after a quick break here in the kiva we'll talk about job losses when we return here in the kiva on am 1600 kiva abq.fx
bottom of the hour. Hour two, halfway through the show on AM 600 KFM, rockoftalk.com. Download the app, get the podcast, get ready for tomorrow so you can be out and ahead of all of the news. I'll get you caught up on, who knows, 30, 40, 50 different uh, stories that I weave together for you so that you're up to date with what's going on. Um, you know, here locally, I guess we got a new district attorney, Sam Bregman. What else is new? Out with the old, in with the older. Uh, nothing changes in the state that uh, I'm from. I don't have to worry about, you know, the ebbs and flows. I guess our governor is going to go get a knee surgery in D.C. <laughs> she loves D.C. She doesn't want to be governor, and she doesn't really have to worry about being governor. I mean, this entire state where I live in, we don't worry uh, about the ebbs and flows of job losses and things like that because 36% of our employment uh, here in the state, I mean, I'm across the street from something called the Department of Energy, San Diego National Labs, and these guys are never worried about losing jobs. They've kept their jobs. They don't worry about it. The state of New Mexico, um, you know, the city of Albuquerque, the county, like these people, there are no layoffs. And with $27 billion coming in from the feds and, you know, our governor doing what she's doing, we don't talk about those types of things uh, that are affecting all the rest of the other states. And it is overall not a very happy place to live because uh, when you don't have to sort of uh, break your own bread or, um, you know, Eat only what you kill. Uh, it, I think it makes you less happy. I, I really do. That's the way I feel. I'm a. I guess you could be considered an alpha male. I have to, uh, you know, eat only what I kill, and and that's about it. And uh, you like the struggle, and I think that that's good. And you also like the victories, and you learn from the defeats, and uh, that's those are those are good things. And recently, before I get to the bad news amidst all of this, which New Mexico will not jump in, and you would think that. The fact that we're not going to have massive layoffs here in the state of New Mexico, that that would be a good thing. It's got to make us a happier state. Well, Wallet Hub, uh, sort of popcorn econ uh, economics, uh, if you will, uh, puts out these, I don't know, touchy-feely type uh, numbers that everyone likes to click. It's just clickbait is what you call this, okay? And it asks the questions, do you live in a happy state? Survey ranks happiest states in the United States. And so we, before we get to the jobs and the huge layoffs and things like that, we'll, we'll find out whether or not having 36, 37% um, of your employees working for the government, it makes you a happier state. And it doesn't. New Mexico ranks 42. Now it's a, across four different or three different um, categories, emotional and physical well-being, not very secure here in the state of New Mexico. Uh, you have a work environment and then uh, community and environment. Let's do one in three first, uh, and we'll find uh, the best of the best, uh, if you will. I do like these things uh, when Wallet Hub puts these things out. So I like to go directly to Wallet uh, Hub uh, directly, and they'll 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 give you the numbers. Who is top in physical and emotional well being? If you had to guess, who would it be? Well, it would be Hawaii. Surprisingly, um, no, not surprisingly. Of course, that's paradise on earth, right? Hawaii, then New Jersey coming in at number two. What not it one of like most <clears throat> violent places? Camden, New Jersey, New Jersey. Uh, Illinois, number three, the murder capital of the United States, Chicago. Uh, Florida, number four, emotional, physical well-being. Five for Maryland, six Massachusetts, seven Connecticut, eight New York, nine Virginia, ten Minnesota. What kind of rankings are these? All of those, all of those states, uh, with the exception of New York, are in the top 20 overall rank, okay? Now let's, now let's look at uh, work and, excuse me, community and environment before we get to work and then the job losses. Utah, number one, community environment, very, very red state uh, for the most part. 
Idaho, a very red state, coming in at number two. Wyoming in at number three there. Wyoming overall rank uh, 25. Very cold, uh, frigid, in fact. Uh, had the recent uh, Midwest blast, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana. Oof, cold. And then uh, coming in at number four in community and environment, Maryland, California. Nevada in at number six. I like that. That looks good. Hawaii in at seven. Eight, Washington. Nine, Minnesota, and number 10, North Dakota. So uh, of those, one, two, three, four, five, five for five, five out of 10 red states. So uh, that's the bleed on the uh, first one and the uh, five for five. The, the very worst, by the way, state for emotional and physical well-being is West Virginia. Uh, New Mexico, where I'm from, comes in at number uh, 42. How about community and environment? What's the worst state? <laughs> Texas? How is that even possible? Alaska, Florida? I'm not sure how they came to these rankings, but uh, having recently gone to Texas and Florida, I can tell you that uh, both of those are very good places for community and environment uh, overall. How about work environment? Well, number one, also, in addition to community environment, uh, Utah, one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country, uh, next to Nebraska, Minnesota, Idaho, Montana, Washington, Iowa, Nebraska, Colorado, and North Dakota rounding out now North Dakota, South Dakota, rounding out the top 10. So that's the way it looks there. One, three, four, six, uh, seven, nine, ten. Seven, six out of 10 uh, of those are red states. The worst place for the works env- work environments? Well, there you, there you have New Mexico, right next to Mississippi, Louisiana, and Virginia, and uh, it, it being the top four. One of the worst places, one of the highest unemployment levels uh, as well. So speaking of unemployment, it uh, can't get worse for New Mexico. And thank God, uh, because we don't have uh, big private uh, employers uh, here. Now, Amazon recently rolled out 2.9 million square feet here in the state of New Mexico uh, over the last uh, few years during the pandemic. And a lot of people are getting same day deliveries, although Amazon has fallen mightily. Uh, they've lost uh, more than a trillion dollars as well as uh, Apple. I mean, people just aren't shopping online anymore. Remember, everybody was waiting for Amazon. You don't even see the Amazon trucks anymore. You used to run into Amazon vans and trucks like you would Uber drivers all the time. That stuff is just pff, gone by the wayside. People just aren't shopping on Amazon any longer just because they don't have that money that was coming in for, from the government. I'll tell you, that's where a lot of that disposable income was showing up. So today, Amazon indicated that they would lay off more than 17,000 employees marking the largest such staffing cut among any big company this year alone, folks. The company also announced substantial layoffs in November of 2022, an additional 10,000, so a total of nearly 30,000. It attributed the staff drawdown to part of the rapid expansion of the firm's online business during COVID-19. It expanded its workforce by thousands during that period and advanced its other businesses such as grocery deliveries. Anybody getting Amazon groceries anymore? No, I think you're saving the money and going directly. What's that going to mean for the uh, whole paycheck? Whole Foods, that is. That's the nickname for that. Um, The company's declining post-COVID fortunes have hit its partners as well. Fabric Pod Array, FPA manufacturer Gillimex, is now suing the company for $280 million after the Amazon company ended its contract to purchase FPAs in May of 2022. It uses FPAs as a means of enabling efficient packaging and shipping of products uh, to their customers. So uh, there you go. So hard times there for... Amazon in terms of home delivery. What about what about a company like Salesforce? Not good for them. Mark Benioff, the CEO, 
says cuts has come as customers pull back spending 10% of its workforce. Uh, it's a CRM uh, workforce that's there. I've uh, used Salesforce in uh, my previous life when I was working as a commercial real estate broker. The cuts come as many of the company's customers are taking a more cautious approach to spending, a trend that is a growing number of software companies said they have been facing lately. Mr. Benenhoff, who also serves as chairman of the company, said the business software provider hired too many people as revenue surged earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic. Also, uh, Vimeo, a video sharing platform based in New York, said Wednesday that it has decided to trim its ranks by 11%. That's right, 11%. So uh, there you go. You also have Meta. It's cut 13% of its staff. Twitter has cut uh, its headcount by 50% since the takeover of Elon Musk. And as I've already indicated to you before, more than 150,000 tech jobs were lost in 2022, in addition to these tech jobs coming at the beginning of 2023. A Wall Street Journal does a tremendous job of laying out all the photos um, and uh, the losses of the jobs uh, and the number of employees at Meta. Uh, they were pretty close to uh, 90,000 uh, over at Meta, and uh, they have shed uh, 10,000 since that time. Meta Platforms has laid off 13% total of its workforce. Mark Zuckerberg uh, said, this is a sad moment. There's no way around it. I got this wrong, and I take responsibility for that. Amazon uh, laying off less than 1% with its 10,000-plus employees today. Uh, but overall, they're losing about 4% of their employees, but they grow by considerably more. Uh, the CEO, Andy Jassy, is leading a cost-cutting review and pairing back on businesses at the company that haven't been profitable as, uh, for the tech giant Amazon. And finally, DoorDash losing 6%. You've got Snap losing 20%. Lyft losing 13%. Redfin losing 13%. And Twitter, as I indicated before, more than 50 Stripe losing 14%. Back after a quick break to wrap the hour. Hour two just for you here in the Kiva on AM600 KIVABQ.FM. RockOfTalk.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. here in the Kiva on a Wednesday night hump day. Glad to be with you. And, you know, it seems like it's all very negative, but uh, we had this coming. It was artificially inflated for a long time. The ebbs and the flows, there's a balance in all of it. And I think that, you know, you could always make sense of it that way. Not to get uh, too negative on all this. Somebody commented, it's like, you've been wearing the same sweatshirt for three days. Like, yeah, I have. I've got new sweatshirts coming in and haven't been in the laundry and just been been working hard. Uh, what, what else can I say? So uh, there you go. Uh, 550-5500 if you want to go ahead and, and text. And we got to talk about uh, social media. Um, and yesterday I kind of want to jump in the Jordan Peterson stuff. But before I get to that or, you know, Andrew Tate or, or any of this kind of stuff, let's, let's, let's look at Twitter's new boss. Okay. And this came out yesterday and we didn't get a chance to sort of, you know, jump in all this. And if you think that this, you know, this is the, the cross of Twitter slash TikTok and, you know, all you conservatives who are jumping and getting on Twitter all of a sudden. Okay. Elon Musk uh, promoted executive Tom Zhu, Tesla's chief of operations in China, 
to head the U.S. plants and sales, making him the company's number two executive after Musk himself. Business Insider reported that Tesla has announced the promotion of Tom Zhu, its current China chief, to the role of head of plants and sales in the United States. The news was initially reported by Reuters, which obtained access to the internal posting detailing the new reporting lines in all this. Now, shareholders have expressed concern about the recent decrease in Tesla deliveries. Not good, right? The share price has fallen 47% prior to yesterday, additional 12% yesterday. So a total of 60% since October 27th during that time. Elon Musk completed the acquisition of Twitter for $44 billion during that very same time where he was not focused on, okay? They dropped nearly $800 billion in the last year in terms of market cap. Not good. Okay. Tesla's underperformance in meeting Wall Street estimates and for the fourth quarter deliveries, in addition to the distraction that Twitter has offered up, have uh, led an additional 7% dr- uh, drop in the trade. Uh, I think it is uh, somewhere around 115 bucks uh, right now uh, as far as that is concerned. So Peter Schweitzer, who is a Breitbart News senior contributor and the president of the Government Accountability Institute and the best-selling author of Clinton Cash Profiles and Corruption, outlines... How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, and How American Elites, Including the Silicon Valley Masters of the Universe, Including Elon Musk, and Zuckerberg, and, uh, you know, the former head of Twitter, purposely aid communist regime in China. It also explains how Elon Musk tore love affair with the country's communist dictatorship. Nice to see this coming from the right, finally. I told you Elon Musk was bad, not to be trusted. He's an opportunist, Okay. So after denying he would open Tesla factories in China, Musk dramatically changed his tune. And according to Schweitzer, he says, Beijing rolled out the red carpet. Chinese government-backed banks coughed up $1.6 billion in subsidized loan for Elon, and the regulatory red tape to build in China was eliminated by government authorities. What surprised me is how little time it took for the regulatory process to get approved by the Chinese government, explained Evan Su, an analyst at Morningstar. The enormous plant was built in less than a year for Tesla. Musk arrived in the country for the groundbreaking ceremony, met with top-ranking officials. Two days later, he was meeting with Vice Premier Li Qingwang in the private compound reserved for high-ranking visitors. I love China very much, and I'm willing to come here even more, Musk reportedly told Li. The Vice Premier offered to make him a permanent resident of China. <laughs> there you go. All right. So while we're in the midst of all this, and uh, Elon's playing the uh, good guy with the $44 billion that isn't his, I think uh, all in all, he's cashed out about $13 billion in, in uh, I don't know, tech stock uh, out of Tesla. We're now getting to the bottom of the Twitter files, okay? I've told you not to be a part of any of these social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, none of them, okay? And we're starting to sort of uncover all this, especially when it comes to the Democrats. Now, Elon Musk is in China. Elon Musk now owns Twitter. And then when you saw the coverage, for example, of Bernard Hamlin, uh, the man, the athlete, 24 years of age, world-class athlete for the cornerback for the Buffalo Bills who followed and collapsed, guess what was not allowed on there? Any anti-vax or vaccination causes for Hamlin, believe it or not. Go and look at the Twitter. Tell me if you can find that anywhere. So let's learn more about Twitter. The deep state used the media as a tool to pressure social media companies into censorship according to a new batch of the Twitter files released by Matt Taby today, uh, yesterday, excuse me, uh, on on that. So I wanted to go to that because he was on earlier uh, with Tucker, and I want to put that information out in front of you so that you can all see what's going on. It's all about big government, big tech, and big China, uh, if you will, that's uh, coming out, uh, and uh, Matt Taby has the information on that. Take a listen. Beginning of this story. 
And in relative terms, Twitter is a smaller player. I mean, you have Facebook and Google that, that dwarf it in size. I mean, uh, we've got to assume that those two companies are as penetrated as Twitter has been, don't we? Yes, and, and there's evidence for that. Uh, certainly, we've seen uh, that they had what they called weekly uh, or monthly industry meetings with the DHS and the FBI, uh, and those included a, a number of companies, including Facebook, in some cases, Wikipedia, Pinterest. Uh, there were a whole series of companies that were included in, in these communications. Um, how deep the penetration goes in, in those other companies, I can't say, but I do know that they had very close communications. And in Twitter's case, the number of requests that, that came in was really overwhelming. Your previous guest, Michael Schellenberger, talked about how they were uh, paid $3 million by the FBI. They were underpaid. They were doing so much work for the government in terms of uh, reviewing these documents that uh, they, they should have been compensated a lot more for their work. How can it be a free society or a democracy if law enforcement and... There you go. So I think, uh, obviously, there you go. Uh, obviously, Tucker asking the right questions. Matt Taby uh, right there, and you got the uh, information. So, you know, what does this all look like, okay? Uh, Twitter was struggling with the problem of public and private agencies, bypassing them, going straight to the media with list of suspects, a suspect accounts. Um, by some measures, there were as many as 500,000 users that were banned on Twitter back then. Well, I don't think much is really sort of changing now. The people who had all the information and given the fact that you only have half of the workforce and, you know, you have several offices in Twitter that are all shut down, you know, all this stuff is sort of, you know, gone by the wayside. Uh, Matt Taby says, we're happy to work directly with you on this instead of NBC. He uncovered this. Roth tried in vain to convince outside researchers like Clemson lad to check with them before pushing stories about foreign interference to the media. And there you have all the documentation on that. TV sharing all this stuff uh, on Twitter uh, now as well. Twitter disputes with the uh, government agencies spilled over into the media with the company publicly denying allegations about Chinese influence operations on the platform. And then I just told you about uh, Elon Musk uh, right there and his uh, working with Tesla uh, in China. So, the verdict is, uh, in my opinion, already in, and it's up to you to decide where and how you want to work. Now, um, one of the worst, Adam Schiff, the Schiff show, um, pressured Twitter to ban journalists, according to new messages and uh, this out today. He uh, pressured Twitter back in 2020 to ban Paul Sperry, investigative journalist, according to messages. Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee at the time, wanted many accounts allegedly linked to QAnon, Suspended. No doubt they were going after him specifically. His office claims Sperry and other accounts had repeatedly promoted false QAnon conspiracy and harassed, obviously, him and a number of others. The message also showed Schiff's office wanting the removal of any and all content about staff on House Intelligence Committee, including posts, shared content, and reactions to that content. And no doubt that Twitter followed suit and did everything, everything that Adam Schiff had asked for. So, Again, how do you trust these agencies in any way, shape, or form? You, you sim I mean, excuse me, these social media platforms in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion, you just simply cannot. And we're seeing more and more of this stuff, uh, especially when it comes to COVID, the information that didn't come forth uh, on all that, uh, banning people like, I don't know, Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, uh, as I've indicated to you before, not getting the, the straight skinny on some of this stuff. Um, here is uh, some stuff that's coming from Musk. 
He's saying Twitter files show that U.S. demanded suspension of 250,000 users, including users, including CNN in Canada. Now, uh, he write, he tweeted today, U.S. government agency demanded suspension of 250K accounts, including Canadian officials. He no doubt is trying to win the trust of somebody at this point because all the people who were with Twitter before are not using it. I don't know if there's some real utilization numbers that are out there, but you can guarantee that Twitter is in no way making the money that it once did. In a thread yesterday uh, titled Twitter and the FBI belly button, Taby stated that the social media platform was tired of being bypassed as agencies took lists of suspicious accounts directly to the media. In response to reporter uh, Matt Taby, who published the latest edition of the Twitter files, uh, Musk continued uh, and put out even more information about the flagging of those 250,000 plus accounts. Emails from Twitter's former head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, appear to show that the platform viewed both the FBI and Department of Homeland Security as apolitical and seemed to prefer being involved with those agencies over the Global Engagement Center. In addition, uh, they said, I think that they thought the FBI was less Trumpy, the former Defense Department told Taby. So, you know, again, many of this stuff uh, has already been compromised. Uh, you've already been in there. Your passwords likely that you're using before, are using now. You're not shadow banned anymore. But, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, Twitter has uh, really lost its luster. Uh, people, by and large, uh, aren't sharing as much as they once were. And those people who are feeling the, the little bit of freedom that they were getting with Twitter now not being shadow banned uh, are existing in a place where their tweets are only being seen a quarter of what they were seeing uh, before. So we're going to talk about Jordan Peterson. We're going to talk about Andrew Tate. Um, more stuff coming out uh, on Andrew Tate, uh, who was jailed in Romania. And I believe he's jailed until the end of the month, but I don't know. we got to follow TikTok for that. Back after a quick break uh, here in the Kiva, top of the hour news, hopefully. And if not, we'll run some commercials. I'll see you in five minutes. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Oh, we don't care about the young folks. Talking about the young stars. Talking about the young stars. Of the Rock of Talk on AM 1600 KIV, FM, rockoftalk.com. Don't forget, you're going to rebroadcast of all this. I'm going to post everything tomorrow in the morning, and then you guys can share it and see how the show's uh, coming out. Uh, certainly, hopefully, uh, you will like that. You'll get a, a replay on rockoftalk.tv as well. Had a couple of technical snafus there. Uh, and then uh, hopefully tomorrow we'll have uh, the uninterfered satellite. Uh, literally, I don't, I don't know how I have this number of issues um, but it happens <laughs> one form or, or another it seems to continue to happen um 550 50, uh just got a text uh, you're welcome to text me i am live um and then uh should i should i forward the phones i know that i got a call last night um i will forward the phones and if you feel like calling in you know talking yapping about whatever uh you can do that covered a lot of ground again the economy the speaker stuff um, you should be up to date on what's going on. I don't know that you'll find better analysis, better understanding, better sound bites uh, than what's happening, uh, than what I'm providing out there, and uh, get you ready for tomorrow for the next uh, few days, couple of days, and then, of course, for the next week 
um, what it's going to look like uh, early next week. So uh, they're not going to probably have a speaker tomorrow. Uh, they won't broker a deal. I know that they're claiming that they might, but I think it's just going to become more fractured uh, at this point. So uncharted territory. So don't get after me if I'm wrong. It's just uh, my two cents uh, here. Uh, okay. So um, I do want to, before I jump into Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate and you know going around the world, I was looking at the world's most expensive and least expensive cities and The Economist, and um, it, it was very interesting you know, how much more expensive it is to live, for example, like in Western Europe and North America than it is anywhere else. So um, the cheapest place to live in the world is uh, Damascus. Uh, Tripoli, Tehran, Tunis, and Algiers are the cheapest places to live in the world. In Eastern Europe, uh, you've got Bucharest and Budapest, as well as Sofia and Warsaw uh, are the places, just in case you're looking for some place to escape to at this point. Um, Caracas, Venezuela, is now the places, uh, cheapest place to live in Latin America. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't recommend it. But ten years ago, if you were tracking that uh, on the index, one to a hundred, uh, Caracas was the most expensive place in Latin America to live. And a number of people have been moving to Mexico City as things have become more expensive in the United States. And Mexico City, on a scale of one to one hundred, New York, Los Angeles being one hundred, Mexico City uh, comes in at about uh, seventy six, seventy seven. I lived in Mexico City. Uh, for a time. So I know lots of people are looking at exploring uh, different places to uh, travel and leave and go to. And uh, now that things are open in Asia, um, India, obviously very poor, um, you know, whether it's a Mumbai, Chennai, uh, Bangalore, Ahmedabad, uh, they're all right there. But if you look at some of the uh, other Asian sh cities, including uh, one of the largest cities, uh, Beijing and uh, Tokyo's Osaka, or excuse me, Japan's Osaka, uh, those are in the 75 to 80, so significantly cheaper uh, than uh, New York and Los Angeles, but uh, pricey nonetheless. Uh, incidentally, New Mexico comes in, or Albuquerque, New Mexico comes in uh, right about the same as uh, Beijing, Osaka, uh, places like uh, Atlanta, uh, Indianapolis, uh, Miami uh, are all you know relatively close to where New Mexico comes in. The cheapest place in all of North America, a place that I uh, enjoyed quite a bit, uh, when I visited there, uh, Toronto is the cheapest place in all of North America to live. I'm not sure how many people knew that, um, but uh, all things considered, that is very interesting. Also, uh, in uh, North America, Detroit comes in, Calgary, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and uh, Montreal, as well as Cleveland and some of the other places. And finally, Western Europe, the most expensive place in uh, Europe is Zurich, but Zurich isn't quite as expensive as New York, uh, by the way, New York uh, being one of the most expensive places right now to live. Geneva, Paris, uh, coming in at about uh, 84, 85. And then uh, you have London, Copenhagen, uh, Vienna, all in the 80 range. So just some thoughts there for you, uh, looking at uh, other things uh, around the world. We're going to get into some, some news, uh, some new stories that I didn't get to cover that are, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty uh, earth-shattering, to be honest. Uh, you, you don't hear these startling uh, news stories quite as much anymore. I'm not sure if these uh, news stories just aren't coming out or right to privacy, well, what, what exactly is happening. But um, before we get to that, uh, a man who was banned off of uh, Twitter and uh, other social media, Jordan Peterson, very effective, very impactful, um, has quite a following. I think his ability to influence is uh, pretty much second to none, especially the longer and the more you listen to him. I have a few of his books. I've yet to finish one, 
uh, by the way. I'm uh, digesting one via Audible, and I'm having to constantly go back. And the way in which he talks, um, he has a tendency to sort of interleave what he is saying with several examples almost simultaneously. So it's hard sometimes to follow. Uh, it really is. Uh, you have to listen to it many times over. He's a psychology professor in the cheapest place in North America to live to at the University of uh, Toronto. But I believe they're asking him right now to comply with the college disciplinary training. And he says that he will not comply right now. It's requiring him to take uh, off his social media posts. That's right, folks. He says, my critics have weaponized the College of Psychologists disciplinary process for political reasons. The college wants to send me a re-education camp, and it should concern everyone, he wrote in an article published in the National Post on January 4th. Peterson's remarks follow a decision made by the uh, uh, Post on November 22nd, 2022, that will require him under possible penalty of appearing before a college tribunal and losing his license to successfully complete a quote-unquote sensitivity training course regarding professionalism and public statements called the Specified Continuing Education Remedial Program. He said that he will not be complying with the CPO's disciplinary training course. He says, I'm not submitting to re-education. The next step is a mandatory public disciplinary session, inquiry, and the possible suspension of my clinical license. So uh, here we go. Okay. He said that he would have been required to complete the training at his own expense, which he says costs hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars per hour, for the amount of time that will be determined by the CPO. So he also wrote, uh, now that he's reinstated on Twitter, that he intends to make the details of his allegations being levied against him as public as possible while still abiding by the legal and uh, ethical restrictions in all this. So the Wall Street Journal uh, took out an opinion post uh, on it, and uh, there is a uh, it, uh, the editorial board wrote about it. It says, for speaking his mind, the psychologist could lose his license. The campaign to re-educate Jordan Peterson. And it said... The very same facts that I just uh, already told you. It says, calling a former client vindictive, objecting to Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover of a plus-size model, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that, and candidate even offenses begin with, quote-unquote, sorry, sorry. Mr. Peterson responded sensibly, who exactly was harmed? How, when, to what degree, and how was the harm measured? He says there have been about a dozen formal complaints since 2017, each one demanding a formal reply. One complaint cited Mr. Peterson's Twitter response to a critic Worried about overpopulation. You're free to leave at any point, Mr. Peterson thinks the investigations aren't about mitigating harm but preventing free expression. They conclude, uh, very interestingly, professional bodies are supposed to ensure practitioners are competent, not enforce political orthodoxies. Remember, this is the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. Or act as language police outside the office, but that's the trend in Western medical associations. Good for you, Wall Street Journal. Outside the office, but that's the trend in Western medical associations and beyond. The Law Society of Ontario had pushed mandatory diversity pledge for all lawyers until members of revolt took over the board and nixed the pledge back in 2019. At that time, the Ontario lawyer objected the ever-expanding mission to socially engineer the profession. Sounds like an issue of id, ego, and superego. You could ask a psychologist about it, and that, of course, referring to the Jungian uh, way of looking uh, at things. Now, Jordan Peterson was investigated. And there's a reason why they're trying to disbar or remove his license. It's because he criticized the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. It's due to his retweeting Pierre Polivier, an opposition candidate for Prime Minister, and writing post critical of Justin Trudeau. He says, I am to take a course of such training, reporting my progress. Peter said that a dozen or so people from all over the world alleged he, quote, harmed them 
although none had ever been his client. So that's where they are. Good for the Wall Street Journal standing up for him. Certainly, I hope that Jordan Peterson will keep his license. Back in three, you and me here in the Kiva on a Wednesday night here in the third hour. Don't take me to Saying uh, good evening to Dinah. We also uh, have Russell checking back in. Trevor, uh, appreciate all the uh, let let people know I'm live right here in the Kiva RockofTalk.tv, RockofTalk.com, and start sharing it uh, every night. It's a great way to spend some time, and uh, you're welcome to call in five fifty fifty five hundred if you like. A lot of other people uh, listening as well. Nancy uh, out there, and uh, appreciate everybody uh, tuning in and uh, getting you caught up on. The news of tomorrow. Uh, I think we'll probably finally get to Russia uh, tomorrow, maybe a little bit tonight. Um, it's certainly interesting on the Jordan Peterson front and other places around the world uh, and the most expensive and least expensive places uh, to live. That's just stuff just gets me going, right? And you think about uh, the best cities, the best states to live in. You know, I love comparing that type of thing. However they rank that, I think that's always uh, good. But we got to get to some news uh, items. But uh, before we do that, I do want to talk very briefly uh, for a moment about social media to sort of wrap this whole entire thing up. New report coming out from The Guardian reporting uh, the impacts of social media. Okay, uh, I think radio is the better social media, uh, but uh, the study out of The Guardian that reported the found three out of four children as young as 12 dislike their bodies and are embarrassed by the way they look. Why? Because of what they're seeing on social media. Now, there's so many modifications, uh, whether it's face or body, or filters, right? You know, a lot of filters being used all the time, and you know, people will compare themselves to how other people look in their own filters. Uh, mental health charity called STEM4 released a study which surveyed 1,024 children and young people between the ages of 12 to 21 years of age. It found that the amount of young people between the ages of 18 and 21 who dislike and are embarrassed about their bodies is 8 out of 10, 4 out of 5. That's right. Findings in the survey are deeply worrying, according to Nahara Kraus, consultant, clinical psychologist like Jordan Peterson, CEO and founder of STEM4. She said, we need to improve understanding the potentially compelling impact of social media content, the reinforcement created through algorithms on young people's engagements with apps and their consequential mental health. Now, Jordan Peterson, in my opinion, is working on building up people's self-esteem. Um, how does he do that? He approaches things from a very commonsensical way logical thinking, um, sort of, you know, out with the uh, new way fangled ways of thinking and keeping with the old traditional ways and and really trying to reinforce those as good logical thinking that that got us here. Um, so many of the things that are sort of trending on social media are trying to create and impress upon people new ways about thinking about things and then telling you you're not cool if you don't adopt these ways. And, and that's cruel and unusual punishment. So in my opinion, um, we'll talk about Andrew Tate uh, momentarily. He says, in this, responses triggered by negative comments about appearance, young people ages 12 to 21 in the past year since the pandemic kept my feelings of uh, being upset after looking at social media to myself more than 30%. Withdrew and spent more time on my own, about 24%. Did excessive exercise, right? Uh, bulimia, anorexia used to be a big thing in the 
80s and the 90s. Uh, a lot of that uh, seems to be coming back. Stop socializing with friends because of how they look. They don't think that they look like their other friends. Buying, consuming, uh, not having a preference. Uh, so many times young children are buying things based upon what they see, what other children are taking to school or what they're wearing or what they're consuming. Uh, the keeping up with the Joneses mentality coming in very early for them. Harm myself physically in some way. 14%. Wow. And then, of course, uh, the escapism that goes on, which I can relate to. Misused alcohol and drugs, 8%. Message someone I don't know on social media, sort of reaching out in an attempt to validate. A lot of people do that, uh, and that would be 6%. And stop using social media apps. I highly recommend that one. I think that's probably the best one uh, overall. So, so many people really, you know, harmed by it. Now, I told you the good parts about Jordan Peterson standing up for himself, the Wall Street Journal editorial board. You know, standing behind him. Andrew Tate recently got um, arrested along with his brother. I believe his brother's name is Tristan, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But all of this stuff, uh, he actually put out information on this conflict that he was having with, um, um, I don't know, a girl, an American woman who traveled from Oklahoma, from what I can gather on, on, um, TikTok, but from what I learned, Andrew Tate is a very masculine, I think, traditional type of man. Uh, physical strength, good looks, confidence, male and female uh, uh, roles. And I think that isn't trying to invalidate women. I think what he's trying to do is reinforce the roles that male and female play. And I think that that has offended the world um, at large out there who is, who are uncomfortable, less comfortable in their own bodies, uh, so to speak. So, um, unfortunately, uh, this isn't probably the best thing to sort of corroborate what I'm saying, because you have the Afghan Taliban expressing now concern for American British American influencer, Andrew Tate. I believe his dad was American. His mom is British in an online or vice versa in an online forum announced by beauty queen turned independent journalist, Samira Khan. They said they are worried about Andrew Tate, and they are asking us if he's free yet. By the way, people still looking for Britney Spears. Uh, people still looking now for Kanye West, who seems to have disappeared. Uh, this is becoming more, uh, more and more prevalent. Now you have Andrew Tate after being detained in Romania, him holding up a specific symbol, uh, seemingly with his hands. Um, the Taliban <laughs> says they're worried about him, and they're asking if he's free yet. In the Twitter space hosted by Khan, uh, members of the Taliban claimed Westerners need Andrew Tate because we are oppressed by feminists. Wow. Romanian authorities raided Andrew Tate's house in Bucharest and detained both the influencer and her brother on suspicion of rape and human trafficking. Uh, I don't believe either charge. And, uh, as Andrew Tate has famously stated, you know, first they try to discredit you, then they jail you, then they murder you. The BBC, uh, also reported that the former kickbox kickboxer gained notoriety for misogynistic statements. Okay, reinforcing masculine or a male row, it does not mean that he's misogynistic. And I don't think that uh, him standing up for being a male is being misogynistic, but many women would think that, according to the LA Times, uh, that they have uh, written that up. And that's the wrapping that they have wrapped Andrew Tate in. Now, Tate converted to Islam in 2021, according to Newsweek. He previously banned the influencer for stating women should, quote, quote, unquote, bear responsibility for sexual assault. His account was reinstated after tech magnate Elon Musk took over for Twitter. Since his detention, Khan emerged as a vocal supporter of the online influencer, adding, 
Hashtag free top G to her Twitter account and a reference to Tate's nickname. Newsweek also reported on that as well. Khan promised to share short clips from the Twitter space after one user, a proud citizen of the only Islamic country in the world, urged her to include his comments on the suffering ordinary Afghans face because of illegal, brutal invasion. So anyway, I'm picking up this story because it's the only thing that is really out there right now on Andrew Tate. And, um, you know, I know that that's probably not the best uh, encouragement uh, in support of Andrew Tate. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think that the most Googled man in 2022 uh, being jailed before we get to the end of the year and not having any notice about his whereabouts or Kanye's whereabouts or, you know, I guess Britney Spears and a few other people. There's a famous journalist out of the Washington Post who disappeared that Glenn Beck did an expose on. Anybody who has these sort of forceful uh, comments or brings uh, light uh, or truth to any sort of elements of what the government uh, or non-governmental organizations uh, or, I don't know, things like the CDC, the WHO don't want you to know about. Somehow they are disappeared in uh, one form or another. So uh, there you go. 550-5500. That's 550-5500. Uh, on that front, I do want to talk about um, Hamlin uh, and, and a follow-up to that. Uh, he is doing better. He is improving. Uh, we're not getting more details on that, but we do know that uh, as of today that he is improving. And one way or another, we don't know what actually caused that. I was looking more into the number of incidents uh, of the other explanation. You know, we saw so many athletes after taking the vaccination and getting boosted. We know that his doctor has stated that he got boosted on the 26th. If that indeed is his doctor, uh, Ben Eidelman, uh, and it looks like uh, there is um, no information to the contrary uh, on that. But we're seeing a lot of sudden died suddenly events or cardiac deaths. Uh, so this is a brand new peer-reviewed study. And uh, this is the type of thing, if you were to retweet it or put this out, uh, would get you banned on any of these social media posts. Okay, But according to the study, 239 athletes and former athletes in the United States have died from cardiac arrest after taking COVID-19 vaccines, according to data from a recent peer-reviewed study. Authored by biologist Pangis Polycretis and board-certified internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, the study cited data found that from 21 to 22, at least 1,616 cardiac arrests have been globally documented in vaccinated athletes, with 1,114 of those being fatal. That is a very high clip, folks. That is a very high clip. That's nearly 75%, three-quarters. Global data also showed between... 21 and 22, former and current American athletes made up 279 of those 1,114 fatalities. Athletes have a lower chance of cardiac arrest and sudden cardiac death as compared to non-athletes, by the way. Obviously, they are in shape. According to a 2016 U.S. study calculated that non-athletes compared to athletes have a 29-time higher chance of sudden cardiac deaths. Non-athletes compared to athletes, 29 times higher if you don't run, if you don't work out. One of the reasons is because athletes are screened out for common causes of sudden death on the playing field. Yet you have 279 mortalities. Okay? Pretty crazy. Sir Peter McCullough, um, he's writing on Twitter, uh, has a recent paper and put all that information out right there. He also pointed to a European study that tracks sudden cardiac deaths in European athletes over 35 years from 1966 to 2004. It reported only 1,101 starting cardiac deaths over that interval versus just over a one-year interval 
of having a two-year interval, nearly 1,616 cardiac deaths. I don't know what the impact of all of that was, but that is a considerable number of growth. Uh, hitting the bottom of the hour here during our third a- third hour. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Back in five, you and me here in the Kiva. If so, if so, we know we're coming. If so, if so, we know. One of my favorite bands. Uh, good stuff. You got to listen to this stuff. Just get you going here. On a Wednesday night as we uh, pummel through the midweek of the first week of the year, 2023. And, uh, well, there's been uh, a death. Though not on the field. Uh, the former uh, Jaguar store, uh, uh, star uh, has died. Um, this one, can't attribute it to anything specifically, but... Uh, Jacksonville Jaguar NFL fans received some horrific news uh, on Monday when it was announced that former Jacksonville Jaguars player Uche Nawiniri had died from an apparent heart attack at the age of uh, 38. According to the Lafayette Journal and Courier, Nawiniri had driven from Georgia to West Lafayette to see his wife when he collapsed in her home. Found him unresponsive in a bedroom in her house around 1 a.m., Friday and called 911 and Hopsey performed Monday, found no signs of foul play. Uh, according to the report, he attended Purdue University, was picked fifth round by the Jaguars in 07, where he played seven seasons as a team of offensive linemen, so he could have been overweight. Uche was a great person. He was a very interesting person, deeply valued, informative on thoughts, politics, and life, according to his agent, Jordan Woy. Although nothing will be made official until his toxicology report is done, it doesn't appear to be foul play involved in his death. And the first thing uh, <laughs> that immediately comes to our mind, what we can't say now, is uh, anti-vaxxing, uh, you know, or vaxxing. Uh, so here we are, the spike proteins. Uh, here are some of the comments. Think about how scary it would be to wondering, uh, wondering if those spike proteins were slowly eating away at your cardiac lining. Wouldn't you rather deny it was there and nothing you could do to stop it? Uh, this is happening to teens while in sports, soccer players, football players at home and on the field. Wake up. The only morons are you who refuse to open your eyes. This is not normal. It will never be normal. 38-year-olds dropping dead, even if they are overweight from heart attacks, is ridiculous. Uh, you might remember the ABC uh, vaxxed uh, um, Tahera, uh, who died of a heart attack uh, as well. And uh, the reason why there's so much hysteria against anti-vaxxers is because those that got the shot are afraid they might be next. Isn't that obvious? So uh, there it is, some of the information uh, that's coming in. Now, the New York uh, Times put out um, a video, which I watched a little bit earlier. It was by Alexander Stockton and Lucy King. Yes, I'm a subscriber of New York Times. Yes, uh, I will sift through all the information. But it's talking about hospital ICUs. And in my hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, they are overrun in the uh, pediatrics department uh, from some of the uh, reports that are coming out about RSV. It is very prevalent. So the number of RSV cases have skyrocketed in late 2022. The American healthcare system wasn't prepared. And they're thinking that a lot of this has to do, believe it or not, with the fact that there's so many people who are vaccinated, which is opening them up 
uh, to this. So they weren't uh, uh, ready for this. So something interesting to check out in the New York Times and uh, just talking a lot about uh, the impact of RSV uh, and uh, on hospitals uh, as well. So there it is. Uh, uh, economists writing about COVID surveillance, saying that we're failing uh, at that. Uh, China, more than 80% in Shanghai, uh, 50% uh, uh, countrywide, and they are opening up, I believe, on the 8th, which is going to be on Sunday uh, and just in time for the Chinese New Year, which I believe is going to be the third or fourth week of uh, January. So you might want to uh, go ahead and uh, check that out. And I want to remind you from yesterday, well, the CDC has identified hundreds of safety signals for the two most widely administered COVID-19 vaccines, uh, which create Bell's palsy, blood clotting, and death, all flagged inside the VAERS system system. Uh, that is the vaccine adverse event reporting system uh, that is coming out. So uh, the CDC analysis was conducted on adverse events reported from December 14th of 2020 to July 29th of 2022. Uh, the uh, numbers and all of that stuff is uh, in there and the tables, which you can find on the VAERS system. 550-5500 if you want to go ahead and uh, text in or even call in uh, if you'd like. Uh, I've got to get to these stories. And... Um, was the transgender woman executed? Uh, I'm not sure uh, if she was, but I believe that, that she was. She was scheduled for execution, um, if I'm not mistaken, yesterday. I'm not sure if uh, that went through, if somebody could text me. Um, but I do want to talk about the trans-friendly prisons, uh, which are now unsafe for women. Now, this was a man uh, who uh, became a woman, and then she... She was executed, okay? And uh, this got me thinking about how safe, you know, these uh, quote-unquote prisons are. And, uh, you know, when you have shared bathrooms and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's male or female or what, it does matter to uh, the males and females that are occupying uh, said places. I mean, it's harder for a woman to go into a male's uh, place, but very easy for a male to convert to becoming a woman. But a new California law allowing men who identify as female to be housed in women's prisons is wreaking havoc, according to a report, within the women's prison system and creating an environment of fear and total chaos emotionally for the women prisoners, according to Amy Chikawa, a plaintiff in the lawsuit which seeks to overturn the policy. According to the report, it's the worst human science project I've ever seen. This is callous, brazen psychological warfare that is occurring right in our own state, being fully funded by taxpayer dollars. Ichikawa, 24, was incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla for five years. She founded the nonprofit Woman to Woman, which provides resources, education, and support for currently incarcerated women. She said since 2020, when California Governor Gavin Newsom signed the bill named the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act, authored by California State Senator Scott Wiener, <laughs> aptly named, she has received more phone calls, emails, and letters than she can count from incarcerated women in fear of their safety, post-traumatic disorder triggers, pregnancy, and STDs. And she writes, how could they do this to us? She's now 40 years of age. She realizes there's no privacy in prison, but with the new law, there's no dignity either. And some transfers are and will be full-bodied males sharing what was once a single-sex space. So women who are men who are identifying as women are now becoming women. And this is quite dangerous. She does a 30-minute interview. Uh, the um, video can be found uh, on YouTube. Uh, and it says, Inside California's Gender Inclusive Female Prison. So uh, all right there, a startling uh, view uh, on that. 
also uh, on that. Uh, you saw, you know, what happens in California. Well, it doesn't happen in Florida. And uh, this is what's going on in Florida. A uh, legal decision in a Florida school district requiring students to use the bathroom associated with biological sex. According to the, according, according to the court, doesn't discriminate against transgender students. Hooray. Decision settles a lawsuit brought by Drew Adams, a transgender student who was denied access to boys' bathrooms as a 16-year-old at Allen D. Nice High School in Ponte Verde Beach. The U.S. 11th District Court of Appeals found on December 30th of 2022 that the school's policy, which identifies student sex based on that assigned at birth, does not violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment or federal law barring sex-based discrimination in any school receiving federal funds. According to St. John's County School District Superintendent Tim Forson, he says, we're pleased with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals decision to the Drew Adams case. The court opinion was supported by sound legal reasoning, common sense under this decision. The district will be able to protect all students' rights. So that is a wonderful report uh, that is coming out and a wonderful uh, upholding of the law, which I uh, certainly am happy about that. Uh, I don't know how it's going to go in my home state, New Mexico, but we will certainly... Uh, see how um, that goes. So uh, 550, 50, 500, that's 550, 500. Uh, well, some of the uh, heinous that are out there. Former UFC star Phil Baroni accused of beating and killing his girlfriend. Um, that just came out. I'd never heard of this guy, but you look at them and there's a picture of his uh, hands. He was in uh, Mexico with his girlfriend over the weekend. And according to TMZ, 46 years of age, they found his girlfriend naked, unconscious, in bed, citing Mexican news outlet Tribuna de la Bahia. She alleged she had a sheet covering her face, bruises and markings all over her face and body. The outlet and some Twitter users shared images showing Baroni's hands, which appeared red. And uh, there he is. So despite uh, doing that in another country, he could be prosecuted here. Back after a quick break for our last segment of the people. show here on a Wednesday. Hopefully you like the music. Hopefully you like the clips and everything in between uh, here in the Kiva. I've got one more clip for you that I'm going to uh, quickly play for you. I forgot to play it earlier, but uh, we can't question this. And I wanted to question this when it came to Hamlin and the athletes and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, here's Jeff, Jesse Waters on this uh, very topic earlier, and then we'll jump back into all the, uh, the lethal killings that have happened across this country, notable lethal killings uh, at that. Take a listen. Researcher at Johns Hopkins University and a Fox News medical contributor. Pfizer's also done great stuff. These pharmaceutical companies come up with these life-saving drugs. I'm not just smearing all big pharma companies, and you know that. But if you're settling fines for hundreds of millions of dollars every single year, and you're not allowed to question these companies, why not, doctor? 
Almost, almost every year, Jesse, there is a major fine or settlement involving Pfizer. And in the pharma industry, it's almost par for the course. Now, remember, Pfizer's done some good work in producing and marketing drugs, but they actually acquire most of the technology from other inventors. In fact, the COVID vaccine was developed not by Pfizer, but by BioNTech in Germany. So if you look at the actual track record of Pfizer, they became a darling for a short period of time during the beginning of the pandemic. But before that, they paid the largest criminal fine in the history of the United States, $2.3 billion in 2009 for so-called intent to defraud and kickbacks to doctors. And it wasn't their first time. And in that uh, situation you referenced in Nigeria, they gave a drug called Trovan to about 200 children in that country. Eleven of them died. Others were disabled Nigeria's authority, where, by the way, fraud is an industry there, they said that it was so-called exploitation of the ignorant and unethical. That's how bad Pfizer was in the eyes of the world. What exactly changed when the Democrats just blasted Big Pharma for decades? I mean, decades. Big Pharma. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the COVID thing comes around and they got the vax. And you're not even allowed to say anything bad about big farmer or you get canceled almost what happened look they're running uh, advertisements in the pharmacies when you go to pick up a bar of soap in a pharmacy they're running overhead ads i think they became a darling because public health officials got extremely cozy with the high level people at big pharma pfizer and moderna why is it that the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID vaccine never got authorized in the United States? A billion people in the world got it safely, never authorized in the United States. There was something very cozy between Pfizer and Moderna and public health officials. And that became a relationship that's really inexplicable. Hmm. Very interesting. All Thank right. You there so you much, go. Uh, Jesse Waters uh, on that. And uh, I think that, you know, left some questions uh, there for all of you to think about and ponder uh, on uh, when it comes to the vaccines, and hopefully you're not getting them. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, stay tuned. Coast to Coast is uh, up next, uh, but not before we knock out uh, what's going on. Well, of course, that Idaho killer, uh, there's some speculation as to whether or not he is actually killed before, folks. Um, yeah, in fact, that's what they are saying. They're saying that uh, he has uh, done that, according to FBI Director Chris Schweiker, uh, uh, after he murdered four Idaho, allegedly four Idaho college students. Says, I hate to say this because this sounds so grim, but I don't think this is the first time he's killed. I think the FBI is probably scouring the area around Pennsylvania where he's also spent a lot of time. 28-year-old Kohlberger was arrested at his parents' house in eastern Pennsylvania, charged with first-degree murder in connection with the November 13th deaths of Maddie Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves. Uh, I want to say that that is uh, correct, I hope. Uh, Gonsalves, I've never seen that before. Uh, Zena Kernoodle and Ethan Chapin. Chapin. He was at the time of the killings pursuing a doctorate degree in criminology and forensics at Washington State University. New details uh, now coming forth and emerging in all of this. Accused killer uh, Kohlberger was arrested, as I stated, at his parents' house. Law enforcement reportedly tracked him closely as he drove cross-country from Washington to his parents' house in Pennsylvania. He was at a security. He was also reportedly a security guard several years ago at Pleasant Valley School in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We're gonna have to go back and look at that and uh, see what they find in there. All right, uh, more stuff, more heinous crimes uh, across the country. An elderly man is in the hospital after suffering a horrific attack 
on an Oregon train platform that left him missing an ear and part of his face, according to a report from Fox News 12 in Oregon. They responded to the Cleveland Avenue Metropolitan Area Express station on Gresham just after 2 a.m., where they found Corin Kramer assaulting an unnamed 78-year-old victim. Police managed to pull Kramer off the heavily bloodied victim to find the suspect had chewed off the victim's ear and part of his face. Mike Tyson eats your heart out. The injury was so severe the responders could see his victim's skull. Kramer, 25, gave officers a fake name, L. Baker, uh, but upon fingerprint analysis, people were able to determine his true identity and deduced he had recently moved to the Portland area from Georgia, according to Fox uh, 12. And there's a sign of the uh, or a picture of the place. Commuters expressed concern about the safety of the Mac station, telling the outlet the train platform is unsettling after hours. And, uh, well, you can see why. Uh, NYPD cop pummeling a 14-year-old girl in the head after a school fight. It's not as bad as it sounds uh, here. The woman would not let go, or I should say the young girl. In the footage posted to social media today, one teen flails her arms while two officers advance forward. An officer then appears to punch the teen in the head repeatedly while bystanders film and scream, yelling at the officer. Authorities said the officers were intervening in a fight between two girls, according to the New York Post. Uh, Kiana and Kalia Robinson, the girls allegedly depicted in the video, told the New York Post that they had been trying to stop the fight in the schoolyard. I'm not going to share it or play it. There was some expletive uh, uh, <clears throat> exchange there. Last evening, the NYPD became aware of the incident that occurred on Staten Island where officers responded to a fight between a group of youths. Ute. The actions of the officers is under investigation by the Eternal Affairs Bureau. No doubt uh, because of the color they will, of the girls uh, or the race of the women, they will likely um, <clears throat> uh, be reprimanded. Uh, by the way, the transgender Missouri earnmate, thank you, Russell, uh, for texting me in. Uh, she was uh, executed for the uh, fatal stabbing. Uh, Amber McLaughlin, Amber, uh, was convicted of stalking and killing a former girlfriend then dumping as a man, then dumping the body near the Mississippi River in St. Louis. Fate was cleared and sealed earlier Tuesday when Republican Governor Mike Parson declined a clemency request. McLaughlin spoke quietly with a spiritual advisor at her side as the fatal dose of pentobarbital was injected. McLaughlin breathed heavily a couple of times and shut her eyes. She was pronounced dead for a few minutes later. Uh, I'm sorry for what I did, she said. She said in a written statement, I'm loving and caring person. A database on the website for the Anti-Execution Death Penalty Information Center shows that 1,558 people have been executed since the death penalty was reinstated in the mid-1970s. All but 17 of those put to death, all but 17 were put to death, including the one yesterday, were men. So uh, we'll just uh, leave it at that. Uh, pharma executive uh, who killed an eight-year-old son commits suicide. Uh, this coming out yesterday. Pharmaceutical executive Gigi Jordan, who was convicted in the death of her young autistic son, committed suicide less than a day after the Supreme Court revoked her bail and while her manslaughter appeal was still pending before the high court. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor ordered Jordan's bail rescinded late December 29, 2022, a little more than a week after the justice unexpectedly ordered her freed. Wealthy businesswoman filed a petition with the Supreme Court asking the justices to grant an oral argument the appeal of her manslaughter conviction, which is based on the claim that she was denied her, con denied her constitutional right to public trial. She was 62 years of age. She was discovered dead on December 30th in an apartment on the Brooklyn Borough of New York. And the New York Daily News reported this. A note was recovered at the scene. And the uh, Epic Times uh, also reached out for con com comment to Jordan's attorney in New York. Uh, and her Supreme Court counsel, Michael B. Kimberly, uh, Siegel told the New York Daily News that the death of the client was unbelievably sad. Uh, so uh, there you go. Uh, how about uh, this 
in Northern California. Dodamesh Patel uh, was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and child abuse after his Tesla careened off a treacherous cliff in Northern California. Rescue was described as miraculous. A family of four whose car had careened off the treacherous cliff plummeted 250 feet. There's photos and videos. Dharmesh Patel of Pasadena was arrested late Monday on suspicion of attempted murder and child abuse. Uh, Highway Patrol determined whether or not Patel should be charged. They have discovered uh, that he did so purposefully, and it happened. The rescue of the family from their mangled white Tesla involved numerous emergency responders and officers uh, and the use of a helicopter. Before 11 a.m. on Monday, officers were called to help with rescue, which was on the scenic stretch of Highway 1, about 20 miles southwest of San Francisco. So there it is, and some helicopter uh, views as well. And finally... As I stated yesterday, SUV slamming into New York City sports bar, sending 19 to the hospital. Uh, this was uh, a pretty grim New York City sports bar uh, there. Sorry, Torre, the driver of the Toyota SUV, told CBS that when he saw the silver Audi pull out of the gas station, he feared for his life. He was speeding very, very fast because that's why he hit me. If he wasn't coming uh, like fast, he wouldn't have hit me. When it hit me, I think my life is gone. I think what I think. I don't drive like I drunk drive. I don't do that. This is my job. A uh, number of people were hurt, taken to the hospital. The Audi driver involved in the collision drove off and is being sought by police as they continue to investigate the incident. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in uh, this evening here on this uh, wonderful show. I refer to as the Rock of Talk. I am 1600 KIVABQ.FM, rockoftalk.com. Hello, Las Vegas. Thanks for joining in as well. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow, 8 p.m. for another edition. a day, Monday through Saturday. The Rock of Talk, AM 1600 KIVA, Albuquerque.